0: Hey everybody, Future Iman here, and I just want to say thank you so much to Games Workshop for giving us this preview content in advance for us to review for the community. We're really excited to talk about it, and again, they gave us this product for free. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Path of Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This is your host Amon Kusro, and I am joined by our newly minted co-host Zach Kachetta, aka Requisite. How's it going, my man? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing good. How is it up in the Greater Chicago area?
1: Uh, All right.
0: It's yeah. It's uh, snowing
1: in the middle of April, which is weird.
0: Yeah, it's actually really funny you mentioned that. My grandmother, she uh, she called me, Facetime me yesterday. And she was like, look, 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 look. And, and like, she showed me the, the camera and it was snowing. And I, I kind of looked at her and I was like, hey, is, like, is this, like, what's, like, what, what's the relevancy here? Like you live in Canada, it snows. <laughs> and she goes, but it's April. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that, it's not supposed to happen now. It's not uncommon. Like we
1: we get it a lot more than you guys do, but uh, usually not at this time. Yeah, yeah. So well, good. I well, it's. I don't know if that's good or not, but uh, I hope it's the last snow of the year. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. We've had a. We we have a running joke in the Midwest is that we have a, a few different seasons. We've got winter and then fall, spring, and then. Winter two, and then fake spring, and then winter three, and then hopefully now we're getting into regular spring. So uh, fingers crossed there.
0: That's really funny. In Texas, we have like summer, and then random Canadian cold fronts, and then rain. And that's it. (laughs) Never gets really cold down there, does it? I mean, it does when Canadian cold fronts decide to come in for like four Mm. or five days. It's like 50 degrees. Oh, 40 man. 45, so it's cold for us. Cold for you, yeah. And then it goes back to like 78, 80. Yeah, must be nice. Yeah. Well, anyways, enough of the weather. Um, in today's episode, we're going to be covering Skiddershank's Clawpack, one of the warbands in the new season of Nether Maze, which is pretty exciting. Um, Zach, you love Skaven, so I think this I is going to be a fun one for you.
1: It will Um, be. Uh, I think they have, I may be biased here, but I think they have the cooler models out of the set.
0: They definitely do. They definitely do. And we'll get into that in a second. Um, I just want to give a shout out to our patrons. Thanks to everyone who supports us. If you are interested in supporting the podcast monetarily, please check us out at patreon.com slash path of glory. If that's not possible, we still appreciate the listens and the ratings. Um, And what's really cool is our patrons get access to extra content, which is called the end phase So for the end phase for this specific episode, either Zach, Jason, or myself are going to build a claw pack deck and then share that and break it down either in a small mini episode that we record or a solo episode that we'll post on our Patreon. So be on the lookout for that. But now, without further ado, let's talk about Skaven. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. There we go.
1: We'll see if Scritch is still the greatest.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think he's pretty good still, um, especially as evidence as you and some other people at Adepticon. But uh, yeah, so you love Skaven. Miniatures are awesome. Let's talk about the miniatures first. So I thought, I didn't think the leader, which is, um, I guess, Skidershank, was going to be that miniature. I thought it was going to be the one jumping on the smoke, because that one just looks like a lot going on. It's a little bit more dynamic. That's um, who is
1: that? I believe that's Kin Paw, or no, that's Pad Paw. It's Pad Paw. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They're all pretty dynamic. I mean, you can tell the minions from the uh, the bigger <sighs> guys. Yeah. Um, but they all look. I mean, it looks more like a unit than like a hero and his minions, right? Like we've kind of seen that. Uh, that was kind of one of the big things in. Season one, like, especially with like, uh, Steelheart's champions, you know, it was just three liberators. You, if you didn't know to look for the leader, they all kind of look the same. Um, and it, it kind of harkens back to that where this looks like a unit rather than like, you know, some big powerful wizard and his minions following him around.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a good comparison. Um, I think maybe because it's slink, slink, skiddershank is because he's just like the most composed, like mm-hmm. he is the leader of the group overseeing, you know, his assassin friends, um, his maybe people who report to him directly, as well as some of the night runners in the form of uh, Crouched and Skulk. Which I, I is,
1: love the names on these guys. Skaven yeah. always have like some of the best fluff.
0: Yeah, yeah I swear. They really do. Um, and I think the artwork does them justice. They look fantastic, miniature-wise, card art-wise. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in terms of news, we don't really have any, because this is like release week. We're recording like a bajillion episodes of this week. This is um, the news. Yeah, fair enough. That is the news. Um, so, Nether maze is going to go for pre-order this upcoming Saturday, and uh, there'll be a host of content creators, including ourselves, who'll be dropping youtube videos blog articles and podcasts so pick your poison if you will um and i think that's quite apt given this is a box full of assassins using poisons (laughs) and um yeah enjoy it uh you know i we generally don't cover um kind of the behind the scenes but it's a lot of work it's a lot of hours committed a lot of evenings late nights for all content creators Um, because we really only have a week to cover three war bands and a new expansion or season rather. So, um, you know, it's
1: not like, this is our day job. We're doing this when we get a chance after the kids go to bed, after work, uh, whenever it works for us.
0: Yeah. So regardless of who you like to listen to or read or watch, um, you know, give them that, like, give them that thumbs up. It means a lot. Um, moving on to community shout outs again, Um, I think everyone's kind of just in Pablo Escobar mode, which is just waiting for updates uh, from Warhammer community. We got the Skaven one yesterday. We got nothing today. So we'll have probably the Shadeborn stuff drop tomorrow. That's the Dark Elves. So we'll see how that goes. And then upcoming events other than the Alberta Classic, which, um, again, if you are not familiar with it, is going to be the week of may 15th it's actually on may 15th um day one i think is a skirmish and the second day is like an uh, unofficial grand clash but they're doing tournament support prizes um mr captain murder um who if you know him you know his real name he actually went around and collected a bunch of like old op kits that stores weren't using and so a lot of swag is going to be handed out the event so Highly recommend you check out and support the squad in Calgary, Alberta. It should be a fun day of championship play as well as skirmishes the day before. Um, Is there anything happening locally for you, Zach?
1: Um, No, not yet. I'm starting to put some feelers out to stores, ask if they're running events, maybe if they want me to run events. Um, So we'll uh, hopefully get some things running before too long. And I think Nether Maze and, you know, Harrow deep being in full swing will help along with that.
0: Completely agree. And uh, yeah, for me, we're going to start doing Warhammer on the world's Wednesdays at my local gaming store. So I'll be out there every Wednesday starting next week. um, To try to regrow the scene. And so I've got some friends who we've been playing zombie side with and stuff. So I'm going to slowly convert them into Warhammer Underworlds. Um, Cause some of them used to play like Hearthstone and Yu-Gi-Oh back in the day. Mm. So I'm thinking like, if they really like the miniature aspect, maybe we can hook them in, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a nice transition from board gaming to miniature gaming. Um, especially, you know, the unpainted, uh colored plastics it really helped kind of like transition that you don't need to paint it to enjoy it and have it look good, and I think a lot of people appreciate that
0: yeah, I completely agree, so hoping to trap my friends into the hobby and enjoy it in the long run so um, cool well, let's jump to sleeve it or leave it so this is a segment if you're unfamiliar with it where we um, bring up a card that's either recommended by our patrons or just something that we want to talk about that caught our eye and we're going to decide whether it's worth sleeving the card or just leaving it in your box of cards or binder whatever so the card we're going to talk about today let shadows lie this is an end phase for one glory score this in the end phase of each surviving friendly fighter is two or more hexes from the nearest cover hex blocked hex and a lethal hex. Zach, leave it or leave it. I'm going to leave it.
1: Why? Um, this is the type of card where it could be good in a kind of sit back control deck or perhaps if you are playing like a dominant position, uh, hold objective style deck. If you're going to want to like sit on your board, you're going to pick a board without blocked or lethal hexes or, or cover hexes. And then you're just going to flip your tokens to objective tokens. Then you can hold them. Then you can do stuff like that. Uh, but as soon as your opponent sees this, they're just going to put a, a gloom hex token in the middle of your board. And you're just not going to be able to both hold objectives and score it. So it's one that is both easily counterable and doesn't allow you to play into you know normal play styles like this is not something you can run forward into enemy territory and do because they're going to have blocked hexes and they're going to have cover hexes. And yeah, I mean, it, it seems nice if you could prevent your opponent from putting down the cover hex and you were also playing passive, but I think outside that, and even then it's, there's probably better one glory and face cards in this.
0: Yeah. I think this is a hard one. Completely agree. Um, And maybe I'm reading it wrong, but because it says each surviving friendly fighter, is two or more hexes from the nearest cover blocked and lethal. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a situation? Is that, is if I'm, am I reading it correctly? Is it that you have to be two away from everything and it has to be all three conditions or is it just one of the three?
1: Oh, like if there's no lethal on the board, you can't even score this. Yeah, maybe. Um, I wouldn't read it that way. Uh, Yeah. That probably should be an or, um, but yeah, it's likely that this is just unscorable on, what like eight of the 10 boards available in the championship right now uh just rules as written so yeah definitely i'll leave it at that point
0: yeah if that's the that's the way that i'm interpreting it so if that's the case let's just leave it (laughs) 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 we have a quick one today so um great well let's jump into Shank's claw pack very familiar format to the way we did it yesterday i'm gonna read the fighter cards zach's gonna comment on them first and then we'll alternate until we get through Gambits, objectives, and upgrades, not in that order. Mm -hmm. So we'll start with the leader of the bunch. Uh, Slink Skittershank is an assassin and a leader. He has movement five, two dodge, four wounds, and he's got paired weeping blades, which is a range one, three fury, two damage, grievous attack. And he has a special ability called marked for death. So Slink can re-roll one attack dice in the attack rolls for this fighter's attack actions that target an enemy leader. And his Inspire condition is one or more enemy leaders are out of action or an enemy leader has four or more wound counters. Now, if Slink happens to Inspire, nothing really changes except for the fact that his paired Weeping Blades go from three Fury, two Damage Grievous to four Fury, two Damage Grievous. So a little bit of a Tooth dagger action going on over here so zach why don't you give me thoughts on his inspire condition and the leader of this skaven warband
1: uh the inspire condition is this is going to kind of be we'll we'll see that for the three assassins in this warband um they have the same inspire condition and slightly altered one for the two minions the inspire condition is going to be kind of a a sink or swim for this war band and for the people playing it. Uh, leaders are going to be generally speaking, the hardiest fighters on a war band and possibly one that they're hiding. Uh, you know, we talked with exile dead. You're just going to keep dentalos in the back and keep everyone else forward. Uh, that's very common with, um, Grimwatch as well, you know, mm-hmm. until they inspire uh, and he becomes a good fighter. It's very common with Sepulchral Guard or some of these other ones. Or, you know, your are and your leader is your, your toughest fighter. So sometimes focusing down the leader is not the best thing to do. But this is a warband that has to do it. Um, and that's going to be a very interesting part of this playstyle style is you kind of have to play with that dichotomy of, do I dive in on your dude with two shields in a cover hex with a range three attack action? Or do I go after other fighters that are squishier and try to get kills that way? Um, but if you do inspire getting four dice on Grievous is great. I mean, his uninspired attack, three dice on Grievous, you know, he doesn't get to three damage innately and you want three damage, especially on a leader. Um, but Grievous is like kind of three damage. Uh, on three dice, it's about a 40% chance. On four dice, I believe it's around like a 52% chance or something like that to get a crit um, before enemy saves, of course. Uh, and with that in mind, it's kind of like a three damage attack off the bat, and it's much better when you inspire. So, like, this I think he's really interesting. I think you're going to try to, like I said, weigh diving in on a leader to get that extra dice, to get that extra power, to get that inspire flip. But he's also not terrible uninspired. You can just run these guys around and fight other guys. Uh, You start off on two dodge, you have four wounds. So he's he's got a nice bit of flexibility where that's concerned.
0: Yeah, I think that last part resonates with me the most, right? He's two dodge, potentially three damage base, and -hmm. the only reason that you'd want to inspire him is to make him a little bit more accurate and maybe more slightly more reliable on the grievous mechanic, which is inherently unreliable. Right. So right. that being said, I think slink probably doesn't need to inspire as much as maybe some of the other fighters in his war band. And you're right. absolutely correct in that over the course of the game, maybe in the opening salvos, you know, you, you can take down someone else or get somewhere else or jump onto an objective. I mean, he's five move, right? Like we know the power of innate five move with spike class swarm, which invariably, there are going to be a lot of parallels that are going to be drawn and comparisons that are going to happen between the two war Cause it's the mm-hmm. second Skaven Warband. Um, yeah, it took move. Us four years to get there.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, people
0: had been playing uh, Spike Claw
1: Swarm pretty early in Spire as well. It, it, move 5 to dodge has always been really good. Yeah. The issue is that Spike Claw Swarm doesn't really have the in-faction card support to make it work. Whereas mm-hmm. I think we're going to see as we go on, without getting too ahead of ourselves, that these guys do have more card support. And I think that's where the the differences will be.
0: Yeah, agreed. So let's just go ahead and keep running down the train here. Mm-hmm. So the next fighter is Snip Padpaw. He is also an assassin. He is a move of five. He has two dodge. He has three wounds. He's got a range one attack action called Sword and Fighting Claw, which hits for three fury and two damage. He has the Marked for Death ability, which is that reroll against attacking enemy leaders. And he has a reaction called Smoke Bombs. Use this after this fighter's activation if you do scatter, stagger each enemy fighter adjacent to this fighter, So a little bit of ninja tools there, disorientation. And he has the exact same inspire as slink, which is one or more enemy leaders are out of action or an enemy leader has four more wound counters. Now, when Padpah inspires, um, his sword and fighting claw gain the cleave ability. So, and Grievous. And Grievous, yeah, that's a big one. Yep. Other than that, no change. What do we think about Padpa? I mean, he's kind of a
1: mini Shank, isn't he? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, he doesn't start with Grievous, but he's also three fury, two damage. Um, he's also two dodge. He's only three wounds, but much like Shank, you can play him uninspired and just kind of hunt down two wound fighters or throw a great strength on him and run around hunting down three wound fighters. Um, I'm personally not crazy about his smoke bomb uh, reaction. And I'd be interested to see what you have to say about it, because this is a fighter with only a range one attack. He's three wounds. And in order to get his stagger off, you have to go up and be adjacent to an enemy at the end of your activation. So that means you punch somebody and you don't push them away to get this reaction, which they potentially can block with a reaction of their own window. So, And, you know, because this is an AoE, it's every adjacent enemy. You also kind of want to charge into a horde of enemies and drop the smoke bomb, which is, you know, that's pretty scary when you're only three wounds and now your opponents don't even have to charge you to get to you. Um, Staggering is great. We talked about this a little bit on Exile Dead. Staggering gives you that reroll. It takes people out of guard. Um, It is a good mechanic. uh, But I think the usage of this ability... It's not going to be very common that you use it. You might not even use it in a game, but when you can get it off, I think it's going to provide a really powerful one-two punch. Like this guy comes in, hits somebody, staggers them, and then somebody else comes in and takes advantage of the reroll.
0: Yeah, so I can kind of agree with you in the fact that smoke bombs don't doesn't seem overtly obvious or powerful in regards to its application. That being said, I think a lot of the fighters in this warband do enjoy ganging up and fighting a single fighter with multiple supporting fighters because most of them, if not all of them, except one hit on fury, mm-hmm. and fury is not very reliable. You're kind of crit fishing essentially when you're rolling fury dice. Most, but of if you so. can get that half support, that reroll, and um, a full support potentially, I think that's really going to help. And especially if you you know set it up to where you know maybe you end your activation or your round adjacent to the enemy leader you get a reroll and on the initial attack, and then you get to stagger them, which means potentially you can get two separate rerolls on your next attack into the enemy leader, which is kind of exciting. Um, and, and it really increases the likelihood of, you know, having a second successful attack or critical attack, especially when he's inspired because you want that Grievous and that cleave. That being said, again, I think this is a war band and I think some of the cards, the objectives we'll talk about kind of support this theory is you're going to want to, You know, maybe charge with pad, paw, stagger somebody and then have a night runner, which is your weaker fighters or maybe kind whisper or your leader have a better shot at hitting the target, especially if it's the leader.
1: Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, this is really all set up, right? It's this guy's coming in with a reroll. He's dropping his smoke bomb. He's giving more rerolls like it's set up to get that one, two or even one, two, three punch, especially Mm -hmm. onto an enemy leader and try to get them. You know, you don't have that three, four damage BAM capability right off the bat, Mm -hmm. but you do have a lot of things that build on top of each other. Um, And like I said, I think in the hands of a very good player, identifying when to go in. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned going in at the very last activation with this, because especially if you get to go first in the next round and Pat Mm -hmm. gets to survive. Yeah, just like hitting, dropping smoke bombs in the first activation and then being like, all right, I'm on two dodge. Are you going to come at me or not? You right. Know, um, or are you going to run away and, you know, try to survive with your stagger and keep your leader alive? Like you're going to put people in awkward situations. And I think that's, that's always a good thing.
0: Agreed. And, and, you know, the threat range on them is incredible. And again, you you were right. I don't think you're going to use smoke bombs too often. I think you have to figure out when's the right time, but snip is another fighter in this war band you know, that doesn't need the inspiration. Mm -hmm. I think five move, two dodge, three fury, two damage is a very respectable profile for a fighter. Um, And you can give him a great strength and he can go elf hunting, you know, because elves are three wounds generally. Mm -hmm. Um, He can, you know, try to kill some other Skaven or other three wound fighters. And, um, you know, if and when you get the inspire, it's a pretty decent chance of, you know, critting into that Grievous. So I like him. And I oh, think you're absolutely sure. correct. He's a mini Slink, yeah, uh,
1: in a good way. He, he's definitely the lieutenant of the Warband.
0: Yeah, he's the only other fighter who starts as an assassin.
1: Oh, I thought uh, I thought Kin Whisper was as well, but actually, he, he only gets it on inspiration. And we'll talk yeah, about that yeah. now, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's a great segue. So, so Kin Whisper, creep, Kin Whisper, um, is an assassin in training. So he's got five move, two dodge, three wounds. He has one attack. It's a range three. Two smash, one damage, with the special ability called Barbs. Barbs is a reaction. After this attack action, if it succeeded, give the target one net counter. After a fighter (coughs) with one or more net counters makes a move action, deal one damage to that fighter and remove those net counters. At the end of the round, clear all net counters. And then Creepkin Whisper inspires when one or more enemy leaders are out of action and or this fighter makes an attack action that targets the enemy leader. Now, if he's able to successfully fulfill one of those two criteria, well, congratulations, Creep, you just got promoted to assassin, and he gains the assassin keyword, which stats don't really change much. Actually, I don't think they change at all, do they?
1: Uh, He gains Uh, Grievous on his weapon.
0: That's right, yeah.
1: And he also gains the marked for death, the reroll against leaders uh,
0: special ability. Yeah, I can't read, apparently right now. So <laughs> it's a okay. good call it's there. Late. Yeah, and, and the marked for death is like an assassin thing. Yeah, he gets promoted, so I guess he's the assassin who needs to pass his final test.
1: Yeah, he he's out here trying to get his uh his important kill. Um his black belt. <laughs> black belt and murder.
0: Or diploma, whichever one fancies you. Uh yeah, I
1: think when it's an assassin, I think they, they give you a, a diploma. That that does seem correct. Uh <laughs> Um, Uh What do we think of Creep? uh, Yeah, I am very interested in this Trifang Triskel uh, and Net weapon. Um, This reaction to give an enemy a a Net counter and then they take a damage when they move. This is, it's probably one of the most interesting baseline attack actions we've seen in Underworlds. Because this is effectively a two damage attack. If they move right because it's one damage and then it's another if they move but it also encourages you to do it early because if you do it after the opponent is charged well the net counter is clear at the end of the round so it doesn't matter you give them a, a, a move token after they've charged right they're not going to to move and take that damage uh, and if you do it early and you hit say a two-wound fighter, you ping him for one, you put the move counter on him, you go, okay, if you activate that fighter at, at all here in this round one, they're dead. Mm-hmm. And you're a, Again, it's a little bit like the smoke bombs. You're going to put your opponent in a rough position just by having this here. And we've seen range three to smash attacks just be good in the past. I mean, that's a solid profile. It's 75% chance to get something through um, at a good range. You're already move five. That's a You know, an eight plus uh, distance uh, Mm -hmm. threat range um, for a pretty good attack. Um, And again, starting on two dodge, you can charge this guy into cover, throw your net, put it out. And then he's also pretty safe sitting in a cover hex. So I think Creep is really good. Um, I think he's going to be sneakily one of your better fighters in round one, despite only being one damage baseline. Uh, But the utility and the range that he puts out, I think, is top-notch.
0: Agreed. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Creep. In fact, I think he's probably one of my favorite fighters thus far, just because I'm in love with the range 3-2 smash attack profile. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Profiteers. I like when my elves are very accurate from a distance. Big fan of ranged attacks. And like you said earlier, you want to use him early. And it's very easy to inspire him because he starts the game with 8 range threat. I mean... In most cases, he could probably, it's probably not advised, but in theory, he could probably just start the game, make a charge, and Inspire. Now, as we've mentioned before, he isn't necessarily a fighter that really benefits much from the Inspire in terms of survivability. I mean, I think that's going to be a theme that we see in the, for, in the top three fighters in the warband is that they start out in a pretty great spot. The only time you really want Kin Whisper to inspire is if maybe you're taking cards that rely on assassins doing things like in Cold Blood, you know, where assassin gets a kill or something like that, and maybe Slink or Padpaw are either dead or not in a position to help. But then you can have um, some benefits with cards that revolve around assassins. And there's more of them in the other maze that we'll talk about in another episode. But the idea here is um, he's your initiator. He sets up some difficult choices and he can really zone some plays. Like if you... If your opponent sets it up to where they have one fighter who they are going to try to go for a cover hex in your territory or middle of the board, and then you ping them for a damage, and they're like, well, they need the cover hex anyways to either deny you glory or score glory, then they're going to drop the two wounds, and then they can get one shot by three of your fighters with range five. So really, they can get to that fighter anywhere. Creep is a utility piece. Late game, you could probably throw a weapon on him or give him an illusion upgrade attack action and do some stuff with him as well. But I'm a big fan of maybe throwing Glory Seeker on him and just be like a mobile two smash, two damage turret with the potential of, you know, Grievous when he's inspired.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you get uh, Glory Seeker on him and you pop off Grievous, I mean, it's only two dice on hammer, so not a huge chance at uh, getting that crit, but if you do that's three damage and then you put the net token on and this is potentially a Mm -hmm. four damage range three fighter um exactly and we've seen that be really strong in the past with curse breaker during season two we've seen that with profiteers late season two early season three um you know just building that up and i think you're probably just going to have glory seeker in your deck anyway so like Having that in your back pocket, you know, you're probably going to put a glory seeker on one of your your other two fighters with the, the three sword attacks. But like there's a chance like game Ken whispers alive and he's sitting in a cover hex in a good spot. And you just like tool him up to be a a murder turret. Um, and I think that's something your opponent's got to think about.
0: 100 percent. And, you know, because of so much so many dice rolling around and re-rolls, you're probably going to take fighters ferocity as well. So sure. maybe not on this fighter, right? But maybe on marked for death, you can get that reroll, mm-hmm. but you know, you have, you're going to take a lot of damage. This is a warband that's actively trying to kill the enemy leader and their supporting cast. So damage speed and two dodge off the bat for your three best fighters. I mean, what more do you want to ask for? Right. It's pretty solid in a gloom environment. Exactly. Yeah. So let's jump to crouched. So crouched is a night runner. So he does not have the assassin keyword, but he has the minion keyword. And so he is a range five, one dodge, two wounds. He's got a bladed tonfa and dagger, which is a range one, two fury, two damage attack. And his inspire condition is the same as the leaders, which is enemy leaders either dead or it's a combination of this or, or creeps. This fighter makes an attack action that targets an enemy leader. um, When he inspires, he goes to two dodge and his attack profile goes from two fury to two smash. So big boost in survivability, significantly more accurate. What do we think about crouched?
1: Uh, I think he's your mookiest mook. <laughs> you know, he is, <laughs> he is the chump of this war band. Uh, we'll, we'll look, talk about a uh, skulk in a second, but compared to skulk range one, two fury, you inspire. Yeah, you you can inspire by attacking an enemy leader without, you know, it doesn't have to succeed. You don't have to damage him. You know, it doesn't have to be a good attack. But, like, that's a range one on a two-wound fighter. You're going to run up and die immediately, right? Uh, I think he's going to be used primarily for positioning maybe as bait um, or as a target for some cards we'll talk about when we get to the Gambit section. Because there's a couple of very good cards involving minions Uh, I think you could also consider just bringing some illusion cards. Uh, there's, you know, still the illusion weapons from Harrow deep and putting phantom fists or phantom darts on this guy would be a pretty good use. Uh, it's much better than his baseline attack.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, to be fair though, I do like the fact that maybe late game. Crouched can become someone that you can potentially rely on. Um, because, you know, you there are some really good minion cards where you can get extra wounds or, you know, maybe get extra damage. And he's a prime candidate for punching up. I mean, to be fair, mm-hmm. you probably don't want to put your hopes and dreams into a fear, two, two fury, two damage attack. Yeah, sure. But, but with punching up and some other cards, you know, maybe you can make that a little bit more reliable to where when and if you need that Hail Mary, Crouched can come through. And that's kind of why I like him. I think more than Skulk. And this is probably a great segue to talk about Skulk. Yeah. Um, Let's chat about him. Yeah. So he's a five move, one dodge, two wound fighter. He's got an Eshin sling, which is three range, two smash, one damage. Same exact inspire as Crouched, which is either leader's dead or he made an attack against the leader. And when he inspires, he goes to two dodge, three fury. On his attack profile, still one damage, but with the stagger ability. And this is why I like
1: Skulk more. You've got this range three innately. You don't have to bring a weapon for it. Um, You know, he's not as good of a range three as uh, uh, Kin Whisper that we talked about previously because he doesn't have that net. He doesn't start on two dodge. He doesn't have, he has one less wound. But, you know, this guy is a little minion that you can put on a cover hex maybe to score an objective, to score Horrors in the Dark, to score um, Fear the Seekers or something like that. And he could just sit there and chuck out his sling. Um, And if he gets to chuck it into a leader and inspire, more is the better, right? Um, Getting Stagger on his Inspire actually makes it kind of a good thing. We'll see that there's a lot of Stagger synergy in the objectives and power cards as well so late game say you get an attack on the leader he gets to inspire he crouches in a cover hex hopefully survives until around two and three and then you just can maybe toss out a couple stagger tokens. And I think that's really, really useful. Um, I mean, he's going to die. He's two-wound fighter. Your opponents are eventually just going to come up and slap him with a stick. Uh, but in the meantime, I think he's going to be a, a, a potent little annoyance, if not a threat.
0: Yeah, and I definitely think that he does benefit a little bit more than Crouch does with the Inspire. And because he's got that range that range of eight with the moment the game begins, mm-hmm. we can probably finagle it to where you get him. To charge the enemy leader end up in a cover hex and inspire shortly after. And it makes him significantly more survivable. So in a way that is, um, a more or rather less risky strategy. Um, a card that I keep thinking about when I look at crouched and skulk is ephemeral fortitude, which mm-hmm. in round one and two, they get four wounds. And then round three, they go back to two wounds, which I don't really mind that because they already start the game with two wounds. Um, so if you're able to draw that early or aggressively mulligan for it, you can turn one of your your weaker or more maybe um, riskier fighters into a fighter that is pretty tanky um, and probably. You know what? I think after talking out loud a little about it more, I do like the idea of being able to stick that on Skulk, have him charge maybe you know activation two or three, and then try to tank stuff on a cover hex. Yeah. That being
1: said, uh, and- go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there's a lot of other things like I don't think you want to overdo it with upgrades that are specifically for minion, but mm-hmm. terrifying shadow is just a good illusion. That's the one where you're minus one dice uh, to your minus one dice to be attacked when you're in a cover hex um, and you're plus one defensive. It's a minion like baseline. That's good to throw on your leader to keep him a little bit alive. And if you, you know, like you said, you can get. Um. Uh, the go to four wounds one on him or on one of these guys early on, or you can just throw one of these on them in round one and just be like, okay, I've come into your territory. I've inspired your minus one dice. I am three dodge in cover. Like that's pretty terrifying. Actually. You're not going to kill that guy.
0: Yeah. That being said, I think crouched maybe has in comparison, less versatility in terms of, how he moves across the board and how he can fight. Um, But again, two smash, two damage. It's just a great profile. I like it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never can, I can never roll fury. So (laughs) my, my lens might be tinted, but uh, I I tend to gravitate towards smash fighters.
1: Yeah. Math tells us that three fury
0: is better than two smash, but I think it's lies. It is lie. (laughs) It is 100% a lie. Uh, unless you're rolling two Fury, then you always hit. Hashtag well.
1: Yes, 100%. That That's a crit. That might as well say innate crit.
0: <laughs> there we go. Um, so before you start reading the objectives, um, what do we think about the fighter cards as a whole? First impressions, and who's your favorite fighter out of the five? Um, so my impression is that, like, obviously
1: as a five fighter, semi-squishy warband, these are cut from the same kind of cloth as uh garrick's reavers uh blade coven um and spoilers just spoilers yeah you know very similar to those you've got a four wound leader a couple three wounders a couple two two wounders and hit or miss depending on whether you need to inspire or not depending on the fighter um of that t- archetype that fast flimsy aggro style i think these guys are a Good interpretation of it. It's a little bit different. It's very lead, enemy leader focused. It's very trick focused. Uh, you're not like, you know, you don't have a sake that you can just blitz down and murder somebody. Um, you have to think, you have to worry about your positioning, and you have to like stack, stagger, and stack damage uh, combinations with these guys. So I think they're gonna be really, really interesting to play just from looking at the fighter cards, and we'll see the kind of tricks that you can bring with the power cards as we move on.
0: I think that's well said. Who's your favorite fighter? I I like Kin
1: Whisper Man. I like that range three. I like the barbs, I think it's such a neat little effect, and I like that he has that slightly easier inspire condition, but also has a really good uninspired side.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would say Ken Whisper is probably the most interesting fighter to me. That being said, I think Shank, the leader, is just a force to be reckoned with. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be able to um, put offensive output like Scritch can, just because that two range, three damage when he inspires is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think Shank is very impressive on his own right and is honestly a great leader. Yeah, you can Voltron him up, um, but unlike, like
1: you said, the range, the fact that he's range one is somewhat limiting, but once you tool him up, like, yeah, you might only get one attack from a charge per round, but that one attack is probably going to be killer. It's probably going to be pretty brutal.
0: Yeah. And I actually think this could be a warband in which you could potentially invest range two attack action upgrades in mm, sure. because they have that five move. You can change that threat range up to seven. Pretty much get anywhere on the board with seven and eight threat range, mm-hmm. um, and if you're going to put a great strength on Skitter Shank, it still applies to the attack action upgrade, right? So yeah,
1: and all their stuff like the rerolls against leader is just says attack actions. It doesn't say yep. this attack action. So yeah, I mean you could put some spears in there, and and then again this is a two dodge warband, spears in cover. We've seen how brutal that is as a attack style. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's a good shout. I like that.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, let's jump to the objectives then.
1: All right. So we're going to go through these. Um, let's start with Armed to the Fangs. Uh, score this in an end phase if three or more surviving friendly fighters each have one or more upgrades. And this is one glory. What do you think?
0: Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I don't think it's a bad card. I don't think it's like a card that excites. Mirror is particularly good either. I think we've seen cards like this in the past where... Um, you can certainly do this. It's doable. Um, I think it's hard to do in the beginning of the game because you're going to need that glory and the glory is potentially going to come from making attack actions or getting kills. So um, I don't think I'm too high on this card. Like it's not a bad card, but it doesn't, it's not something that I probably am going to put in my championship deck.
1: Yeah. And one thing I think we all know is that one glory end phases generally have to be very reliable Or just very, very flexible. Um, Yeah. And this is not, especially when, I don't know, maybe Nether Maze will change things, but we're still kind of in an era of you want to stack most of your upgrades on one fighter and you don't really want to spread out your upgrades too, too much. Uh,
0: Yeah. I don't think we'll ever actually ever be in a version of this game where that's not the case.
1: Yeah. it's Volt running is generally just the best play. Yeah. Uh next we've got collateral damage. Um duel. Score this in an end phase, any end phase, mind you, if one or more enemy leaders is out of action and there are four or more fighters out of action for three glory.
0: Yeah, so this is an interesting card. First thing I do want to point out um is that Nethermaze is the first time we've seen faction warbands in their art fighting war bands from previous seasons. And I think it's fantastic. I think it's awesome. It shows that they care about the previous seasons and their fighters. Um, and this is a picture of the warden getting a spear shoved down his throat. If you're listening and you don't, you're don't, you not looking at the cards as we're talking, while the warden has impaled one of the night runners on the card. So it is fantastic. You're going to see a lot of your favorite fighters and recognizable fighters throughout the artwork of this particular deck just getting murdered. And it's awesome.
1: Yeah, they, they really went down the whole line of... Uh... I, I think almost every leader from across most seasons has, is dying on one of these artworks. And I think that's yeah. great. Plus Hadzu plus Hadzu poor guy. <laughs> I mean, I, he doesn't even survive in the art. He's just always dead. No
0: matter. He's what. just dead. Yeah. So going back to this card here. Um, so this reminds me a lot of um, pure carnage. Mm-hmm. Um, so pure carnage is a three uh, glory end of the game card, essentially third end phase where seven fighters are dead. No, i think across the length and breadth of this podcast and even earlier to what zach said about leaders generally the best fighter in the warband well-protected survivable generally a voltron target and in this particular example because your opponent knows what your inspire condition and probably game plan is going to be hard to reach Mm -hmm. As, as hard as a reach as it can be from you know range seven and eight fighters that being said um I don't hate it. Um, I think if you, it's really hard to plan to kill the enemy. Um, but if you have figured out a way in which you can probably get the enemy leader out whether it's just weight of dice or strategic play or tricks and traps, and there's some good gambits that can help you, you know, get the enemy leader out into the open in this deck. Then I think this can be a card that you can work towards because that three glory is super tempting in any end phase that being said, despite the fact that it says any end phase, you're probably not going to score this anyways until round three, because that's where you see four or more fighters killed, especially in a low model count war band. Like if you play this against crushes, you're probably not going to score it, right? Well, it's any so.
1: four fighters. So, I mean, they can kill three of yours and you kill uh, Morgok and then you score sure. this card. In- but in that case
0: you're probably going to lose because you lost three fighters. That,
1: that's true. Right. Yes. Um, it, it, it does harken back a little bit to Garrick's Reavers, right? They have two cards, I believe, that are two or three uh, objectives that are like this number of fighters are out of action and it's any fighter. Yeah. So you can just lose Arnulf and Tarkor. And it does kind of harken back to that, but with this leader caveat associated with it. Um, and those cards were like, sometimes you would take them, but not always. And th- I think this is going to be very, very similar.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, can I see a deck where you take this and pure carnage and just go nuts? Sure. Mm-hmm. Do I think you're relying a lot on dice? Yes. Yeah. Um, but but this is one of the few warbands I've seen thus far that can get a lot of dice and rerolls. So I'm not going to say that it's not a good strategy because I have lost in a Grand Clash final to a pure carnage. Kerik's reavers deck. That being said, um, in this day and age, I think it's risky.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would agree. Risky is probably the word I would use for this. But three glory any end phase is like if any card's going to be, ri- you're going to take a risk for it, it's that type of card. So we'll. Uh, mm-hmm. I-, I think this is one we'll we'll keep an eye on as time goes on. Yeah. Um, the next one we've got is daggers in the dark, and this is a surge. Score immediately after a staggered enemy fighter is taken out of action for one glory.
0: Yeah. So, like the exiled Dead, this warband has a lot of ways in which you can stagger an enemy fighter. You have two ranged. You have one ranged attack from some skulk that staggers an enemy fighter. You have the smoke bombs. You have some upgrades, some gambits that you can take inside and outside of the faction deck. Um, the interesting thing about stagger. Is that if your opponent knows you have this card, they can just spend an activation to go on card, remove the stagger token, and it then at that point denies you your one glory or potentially two glory kill because this is enemy fighter taken out of action. Is your opponent going to do that? Is it worth it? I can't really say in the context of that particular scenario, but I would rather this card just say... um kill an enemy fighter you know like i really wish it just said that with an assassin because i think that stagger condition is going to be hard to do consistently Um, i would much rather take reckless swing than this card but that's just my general opinion
1: um i think that's probably true like this wouldn't be my first or second surge that i'd put into a deck but, you know, especially with how thin, and we haven't talked yet about the Nether Maze uh, universals, nor the ones that come with Exiled Dead. Um, but currently, with just Dire Chasm and Harrow Deep with what we have, the Surge Pool is very thin. And I think, given those universals, this is something I would look at taking, just because you're right, they can clear off a stagger token. But now you've wasted one of your only 12 activations to just, go on guard, which is almost never the right plan unless it's like, you know, unless you're are passing or, you know, you're just really, really trying to keep one dude alive. Um, and if my opponent takes an activation to clear a stagger token and slow down this card, not stop it, slow it down, then yeah. I mean, I feel like that's almost a win on my part because this is just one glory and that's one of your only 12 things you can do in a game. Um, but in general, like like you said, there's a lot of ways to stagger in this. You can stagger multiple fighters. And if they try to shut it down on one, you know, put a guard token on or make them more durable because they don't want them to die, you can just go after a different guy that's been staggered. Um, and stagger makes them easier to kill because you get the reroll. So, like, I think this is a pretty good surge but it's probably going to be like your fifth or sixth surge. Once you've put in the good ones, like contest of equals and Horrors in the dark, then you're going to be like, all right, where do I want to like fill out this deck? And I think this is going to be one of the first ones you reach for.
0: That's fair. Um, I think we can agree to disagree. Sure. Um, I'm not saying it's bad. I just, I personally don't like it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, for sure. I, I will say before we move on, I think, um, and on Twitter, John Bracken mentioned that he had created the rules for the Nethermaze box set. Um, and so I definitely think he was watching Cobra Kai when he wrote the flavor text for this card, because the flavor text says strike hard and fast and without mercy.
1: So, well, we've got some other cards that also have some uh, old Kung Fu movie illusions as well. So you, we'll, yeah. we'll see some of those coming up.
0: Yeah, let's let's jump into some of them.
1: Uh, well, we've got Dazed and Confused next, which is not a, a Kung Fu movie. That's a, that's a different type of movie, mm-hmm. um, but this is a, a two glory card. This is score in an end phase. If there are more enemy fighters that have one or more stagger tokens, then there are surviving enemy fighters that have no stagger tokens. So if a majority of the enemy team has stagger tokens and it's a two glory end phase.
0: Yeah. More than half. Um, it's really interesting because like when you see cards that are like kill more than half of the enemy like team or, or warband, band um, I generally am like, ah, that's a lot of work. Um, in this situation, it's just throwing a stagger token on. Again, there are tools that we'll talk about that can help with this and in, in including some of the reactions and attack actions we've discussed. I think if you're going to go, excuse me for something like this, you're definitely going to take daggers in the dark. Um, that being said, Again, I just don't think that it's going to be something that's um reliable because I think if your opponent knows that you have potentially two to three glory that you're relying on just because of the staggered token, they're gonna stop you in games two and three. Maybe not game one, but games two and three, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's gonna again, I think that's gonna come down to whether they have the action economy, whether they have the, the tools to stop it, because um, there are gambits, as you've alluded to, you can bring phantom fists, which has stagger. There's a couple other um, reasonable universals that do stagger stuff. There's like a, sta- a quote unquote stagger package in this faction, Yeah. Um, and I think if you're bringing one, you're bringing all of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think you're just going to throw in dazed and confused and not do like you said, you're putting daggers in the dark in as well. Um, yeah. And you're not just like going to throw this in and not the gambits that also stagger opponents. And if you're going that route, I think it's okay. But like you said, like this is one you can stop um, just because you have to get so many stagger tokens out there. And I feel like you're going to devote a lot of resources. And once they've seen you stagger, Four of their six fighters or three of their five fighters or three of their four fighters or something like that. Once they see you put out that much dedication into getting stagger tokens out there, then they're just going to go, okay, now it's definitely worth taking that guard action. Now it's definitely worth, I think there's probably some upgrade that makes it so you can't be staggered. (laughs) Stagger's been so not important in Deep that I can't even think of it off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I mean, and definitely this is like the, you know, Grievous Stagger Warband, for sure. But, mm-hmm. I mean, like, we talk about, you know, is it worth the action economy? Like, if I can stop your two-glory and phase score, I'm definitely going to go on guard, right? Yeah. Like, it's just so worth it.
1: Yeah, for for a one-glory, probably not. For a two-glory, definitely. You're just like, okay, I'll I'll spend an activation
0: to do that. 100%. And then, and then we have to talk about how much support you're trying to put in your deck to just get Stagger mm-hmm. out there. Like, you're going to have to put probably half or maybe four of your gambits have to probably do with stagger to just get it out so consistently. So at that point, are you sacrificing the efficiency of your war band in a championship format for you to score cards that can already be blocked by your opponent? That, see, that's where I start thinking like, I'm just probably going to leave it, not sleeve it. Yeah.
1: I think that's very fair. Um, I, I think all the stagger stuff is interesting, but it's probably not consistent enough to be like a, you know, a a top 16 at a Grand Clash type thing.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Uh,
1: Next, we've got uh, Impressive Students. This is a score this in an end phase if friendly minions made two or more successful attack actions this round. Uh, And this is a two glory. So two glory if your minions hit stuff.
0: Yeah, so this is really interesting. Um, There's a part of me that's like, hell no. (laughs) <laughs> right? Because they're just two wound fighters that start on one dodge can be killed. Um, but I think we've hyped up skulk a lot. And I think there is a world in which you can protect Skulk maybe with cards like ephemeral fortitude or shadow terror, whatever you were saying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The, I don't remember the exact name and you can probably get it to where he's like a mobile turret in, in a cover hex, that's pretty protected, hard to kill. And he just starts throwing dice out there. Um, now again, these have to be successful attack actions, so we can't control on you know when you crit or when your opponent crits. Um, that being said, I'm tr- I, I can see it working in that particular example. I do think that I'd probably end up cutting it after I just didn't, if because I don't think it's consistent enough for it to work.
1: Yeah, I think I would not even look at this card if it was one glory. I'm only interested in this because it's a two glory end phase, and even exactly, and even then I'm like. Are your minions going to st- like, is this going to be dead in round three because your two, mm-hmm. two wounders are going to be dead in round three. Is this going to be even feasible in round one? Because you know, you're just going to run up with sculpt and then he's just going to get murked by somebody running up and critting him out. Like mm-hmm. it seems okay. Like if you're playing a rivals format, if you're playing rivals plus, uh, I know we focus a lot on championship, but if you're playing a format with a lot more of a limited card pool, I think this might make the cut. But in championship, there's probably just better two two glory end phases for you. Agreed. Uh, next, we've got infiltrate their lair. This is dual score. This in an end phase if no friendly fighters are in your territory, and one or more friendly fighters are in enemy territory. This is one glory.
0: Yeah, so it's like a essentially an extreme version or an harder to score or a weaker version of conquest. Right. You know, everybody's an enemy territory and at least one person is alive. Um, it's not worth one glory. Um,
1: it's, it's effectively it. What would it be like if conquest was scoreable in any end phase instead of the first end phase? And it would look like this and you probably wouldn't take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So, yeah, I think we're both in agreement there. Uh, We've got Killer Supreme. Surge Score this immediately after a friendly fighter's successful attack action with Grievous if the attack roll contained one or more critical successes. Uh, This is for one glory. So, effectively, one glory uh, if you successfully crit with Grievous.
0: Yeah, I love cards like these. As someone who has played headshot more times than they'd care to count. Um, it's such a great card. I think bone reapers have a card that does the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Now this is slightly limited in the fact that you have to have an attack action with Grievous, but Kin whisper inspired has Grievous mm-hmm. Padpaw inspired has Grievous slink starts the game with Grievous. So not to mention there's a, uh- dark
1: uh, not dark darts uh phantom darts is a illusion upgrade that is range three with grievous like there's there you go there's other cards that have this or can give you grievous so yeah yeah perfectly reasonable surge to take
0: yeah i like it a lot
1: um next we've got rattled uh (laughs) score this in an end phase if two or more enemy fighters have stagger tokens for one glory we're back to the stagger package aman how are you feeling about that
0: I don't think it's a surprise on what I'm going to say. I'm just not feeling it.
1: Yeah, it's the one glory version of the one of Dazed and Confused that we already talked about effectively. Only getting two things staggered is a lot easier than more than half the enemy war band. But again, like you said, this is if you're stocking up your entire deck on stagger tokens. And yeah, for a one glory end phase, it's probably not useful. I just I'm not seeing it. Now that's reasonable. Uh, I'm sure somebody's going to pull out some crazy stagger thing at a at a local and go nuts with it, but uh, I don't think it's consistent enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we've got unsurprising fate. Score this in an end phase if one or more friendly minions are out of action for one glory.
0: I like this card. I'll tell you why. Mm. Um, so you're probably going to lose your one of your two dodge or one dodge two wound fighters right? Mm -hmm. It's probably inevitable um, in the game. Um, If the off chance, your opponent is trying really hard for you not to score this, then your minions are potentially protected. um, And they're going to go after other fighters that are harder to hit. So either way, it's a win-win because you offset your opponent's net glory. Essentially, it cancels it out. Um, It's also really good in an environment in which you might be taking cards like everything to prove this is essentially an end phase martyred, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe you get everything to prove you offset their primacy gain, and then you offset their, get the, the glory that they get from their kill. Um, because you have to run, unfortunately, these weaker fighters. Um, and, you know, it's probably going to be the melee one that bites the dust. And you might even want to use one of your fighters as bait. You know, like I was talking to Alisor the other day on discord and he says he loves to use fear in his bait. Well, I mean, I used to use Allenson as bait Mm -hmm. when I played Profiteers, you know, who's not to say you're not going to want to use Crouched as bait, have him get killed and try to offset that glory. I don't think it's it's a bad deal at all.
1: Yeah, I I also very much agree. I mean, this is, you can look at this in a lot of ways. This is everything to prove. This is martyred. This is one glory uh, underdog, which underdog and everything to prove were are restricted. I think Martyr yeah. was restricted as well. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, I could be mistaken on that. Uh, a oh, lot of, that's st- interesting. A lot of stuff was restricted during that era. There were a lot of stuff yeah. that were restricted. Um, I don't think Martyr was, but, mm. but this type of card is very common where it's, it's a catch up mechanic. Mm-hmm. It is. My opponent's going to get glory for killing. I'm getting a glory for my guy being dead. Um, as far as reliable one glory end phases go, that pad out your end phase deck, you could do a lot worse than this. I agree. I think it's a good card.
0: Yeah, I like it.
1: Uh, and there is a power card coming up that we'll talk about that kind of fuels this as well. So mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's chat about that when we get there. Uh, but for the time being, we're going to go to Way of the Hidden Paw. Uh, This one actually was on the Warcom site during the preview article. This is Surge Duel. Score immediately if an enemy fighter is taken out of action by a friendly fighter's attack action. Boo. Uh, And your leader supported that attack action. However, this is a two glory surge, which is the standout feature of it.
0: Yeah. Because it's two glory, it makes me want to play for it. And I think it is actually I think going to be pretty consistently doable. Because um, look, the thing is, is that slink is your biggest threat in the beginning of the game. Your opponent will probably try to eliminate your biggest threat. I mean, it's a very common tactic, like try to kill the enemy leader fast enough. In fact, this whole war band is designed to do that. So maybe someone charges slink, they miss, they fail, they do damage. Maybe you sidestep back after they drive you. Um, and then from there, you have the rest of your war band can either make range attack actions or ranged or melee attack actions Mm -hmm. to finish that fighter off. You can also probably take a commanding stride and like get that support you needed. I mean, the whole idea of having that supporting fighter is it's easier to hit, right? Harder to defend against um, in theory. And it's too glory. It's worth the investment. It's worth that commanding stride or that sidestep or whatever. I really like this card.
1: Yeah, I do as well. I mean, if you think about it in terms of cards that exist, this is a kind of a very limited um, orchestrated kill. An orchestrated kill is pretty common, and it's a very good card, which is just kill somebody with a supporting attack or a supporting fighter as part of the attack. And this is the same thing, just it has to be your leader. Uh, I think it is a, there's a slight risk to including in your deck because it's a surge that can just become unscorable if uh, your leader dies. Um but like you said, he's your toughest fighter. He's your best fighter. You're going to put plus wounds on him. You're going to put uh, defensive cards on him to keep him alive potentially. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you might run commanding stride, as you said, but you probably are going to run uh, more common push cards, sidestep center of attention and, uh, hypnotic buzz. And those will all help score this. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't, again, the, the, this is one that I wouldn't look at if it was one glory, but the fact that it's two glory, I'm like, ooh, two glory surges are good. And as far as two glory surges go, this is probably one of the easiest ones that we've seen to score.
0: Yeah, and if we look at other warbands, like Crimson Court comes to mind just because of the recency bias, but like they have Crimson Hounds, that's just make an attack action with a supported fighter, right? Mm-hmm. Now this is get a kill with your a specific supporting fighter, but that two glory is worth it. Two glory is tasty, yeah. And I think it combos really well with the next card. The
1: next card is great transition
0: way of the lashing tail.
1: This is a surge score immediately after an activation step. If three or more friendly fighters are adjacent to the same enemy fighter for two glory. So kind of a step up from uh, impending doom.
0: Yeah. So again, a little bit harder, but definitely worth the payout. Um, Benji on the reapers episode mentioned that center of attention, in his opinion is the best card in the game. Um, and that's because he wants to play a war band that wants to bunch up, huddle up and gang up on enemy fighters. This is the exact same concept. You're going to put center of attention into your deck. You're going to take pushes. You're going to take distractions. And I think you can consistently set this up every single game. Um, especially against an aggressive opponent or an opponent that is trying to hold cover or objective tokens, just feature tokens in general, mm-hmm. because then they're not going to move.
1: Yeah, you know where so. they want to be and you can be there as well. I would exactly. I would say the only downside to this, and it's not much of a downside because, again, two glory surges are great, and this is one that doesn't even require a kill or even a successful attack. It just requires positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, the only downside to this I see is that round three you draw this it's near the bottom of your deck and you've lost three fighters this is an unscorable card that's true um, and it's e- even if you have three fighters on the board if you only have three the chances that you want them all to be in the same place in round three and not spread out dealing with other targets or spread out on objective is like that might put a wrench in your plans just to score this card you might be not scoring other stuff but I think the power spike of having this in round one and just putting your minions next to a dude is like it's so good. I think that's so good.
0: I definitely think it's worth scoring this card. It's worth the trade-off or risk of scoring this in active rounds one and two versus potentially never scoring it in round three. Mm. Worst case scenario, you just chuck the card. You'll get another two grillery end phase, but that that power generation is like a Jagathra or scathe throw. Like, is it worth charging and potentially exposing Jagathra or scathe? At the end of round one, I don't know. It depends. Is the, is the kill worth it?
1: Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a solid comparison. Um, I like it. But yeah. I think we both like this And interesting to note. I think this is the first war band we've seen that has had two, two glory surges. Um, very, yeah. very uh, interesting thing uh, for this faction.
0: But to be fair, they're not easy surges. No, they're, they're doable, not. but they're not gimmies.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've had two glory surges in the past. We had, in, we still have in the name of the king, um, which was used to be a lot easier, is now somewhat mm-hmm. difficult. Um, and that-
0: also, Victoria's duel, I think, is still in the.
1: Uh- yeah, yeah, and both of those are hard. I mean, they're not easy. I think th- these are a lot easier than both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our final objective, we have way of the striking fang. Score this in an end phase if one or more enemy leaders are out of action. Hey, look, that's what your warband's trying to do. Uh, This is a one glory end phase card.
0: Yeah, so I think my understanding of the way that I'm trying to play these guys is, in theory, I'm not really trying to chase the Inspire. If it happens, great. Love it. But if it doesn't happen, do I still think I can win with this warband? Absolutely. So I'm not going to take this card. Because I don't think it's something that I'm going to try to do, nor do I think it's something that you should try to do every every game. Mm-hmm. I think
1: whether you go for the Inspire, go for the Leader kill, is really going to be dependent on how your upgrades come out. Because going after a Leader is really going to require you to have the extra oomph. And if mm-hmm. you top deck Great Strength, you know, Glory Seeker, whatever, and you're like, okay, now it's like activation three in round one and I can one-shot the enemy leader with, uh, with Skitter uh, Shank, then, yeah, you're going to go for it. But like you said, the, the flexibility to just not really care about it when it's not an option is, makes this card not as interesting. So I, I definitely agree with you.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad we agree on the last one. So um, let's talk about the objectives as a whole. Zach, what do you think about the objectives as a whole, and which one is your favorite?
1: Um, I like their objectives. I think their surges are very reasonable. Um, Killer Supreme, and then the two Two Glory ones in particular are very good, and a telltale sign of a good faction, like even if the fighter cards aren't great, which these fighter cards are pretty good, um, is having good surges. And so that's what we're seeing here. Um, personally, I think my favorite, it's hard to pick one. I do like way of the hidden paw, the uh, kill an enemy where your leader is supporting it. Cause I think this one is just going to make both you and your opponent think about positioning and what uh skitter shank is doing. Um, and I think that makes this a really interesting card.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, I think, Couple things regarding the objectives. Um, we've talked about how surges are hard to come by nowadays. I think reliable ones. Mm-hmm. I think this war band solves a lot of those challenges. You have potentially three, maybe let's say two to four surges that you could take in your deck, um, which is incredible, right? The, the surge variety, the playstyle options it gives you, are awesome. And on top of that, it's the two glory surges that are particularly attractive to me because. Even if you get one of them and you can't score the other one, it's worth it, right? It's the same, the same idea is that you got the two glory for roughly two surges. If you happen to get four glory, and in this case, wave the hidden pot requires a kill. So that is a three surge, three glory card, right? So you're getting five glory from two surges that help you cycle your deck. I mean, that's incredible. Um, again, it's not a gimme. It's not easy. Your opponent's going to try to stop you from doing it because they'll understand how valuable it is over time. But holy crap, man! That's really impressive. Um,
1: yeah, and I the the last thing I'll say about these two glory searches is that being a squishy warband, you got two two wound fighters. You have two three wound fighters. Being a squishy warband, you're going to bleed glory, and having this as kind of like a catch up mechanic, being like, I, you know, yeah, I'm going to lose my minions. You're probably even going to kill one of my three wound dudes pretty early as well. But I can score two glory off of a single card as a surge. And that equalizes that glory so fast in comparison to other warbands.
0: Yeah. You're not going to worry about losing or giving up glory with this warband. I think you're more concerned with finding ways in which to score your glory effectively, Mm. Um, which some, I know that sounds like it's very common sense, but some warbands will not care. And some warbands will play cautiously to try to avoid giving up glory. But like you said, this probably doesn't have that issue. The only thing I don't like about it is the emphasis on stagger. I get it. It's a new keyword. It's a new mechanic. Mm-hmm. This is a, the first warband they've demonstrated that really cares about it, aside from the exiled dead. So I understand um, it's a relevancy, um, but it does it just doesn't speak to me, but that's okay. Yeah,
1: I think the the stagger package is just going to be hit or miss. And it's a little bit of a hit for me. It's a miss for you. But I think we should go on and talk about the gambits and see how we feel about those as well.
0: Yeah, right on. So first gambit is closing for the kill. This is pick one. Choose Choose one friendly fighter. Push the chosen fighter up to two hexes closer to a staggered enemy fighter. Or choose two friendly fighters. Push each chosen fighter one hex.
1: That's a great card. I mean... Even if it was just the second portion and this was double sidestep, double sidesteps are great. You see double sidesteps everywhere. Every time it's available, people take it. Uh, and then, you know, just in that off chance, you have um, a staggered enemy and you use this to like close the distance with an important fighter. Like you stagger someone and then you just push your leader up next to him. Great. But if you're not doing that, then also great. You're just getting double sidestep and that's great. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Good card it's an incredible card. Any card like this we've seen in the past is going to be an auto include great way to set up way of the hidden paw as well.
1: Yes, exactly. Oh uh, yeah. Either of the way surges.
0: Yeah, that's true. Either of the way surges. Um, the next one is misplaced optimism. We saw this one previewed on Warcom as well, but this is choose an enemy leader in enemy territory. Push the chosen leader up to two hexes.
1: Uh, and read the flavor text for this. Cause I think it's fantastic. Oh,
0: it's, it's amazing. It's so, this is a fighter we've never heard of, but Kraus the Cautious once said, maybe they're gone. And in parentheses, it lets us know that he is now deceased. <laughs> so, that was some misplaced optimism on his part.
1: Yeah, it's nice to see that there's even other Underworlds leaders that are out there that uh, that have died to the Skaven before we even get to put them on the
0: table. Yeah, I guess he wasn't very cautious. Um, this card
1: is... I want to like it because this is a type of card. Like, one, if your opponent is like playing objective holding type stuff, control type stuff, and their leader is squatting in their territory, this card is murder. Like, this is an amazing card. Very good. Um, But if they're being aggressive and it's like Morgok in your territory and it's Ripa in your territory, like, this is a dead card. So I don't know. It's like, it's so up in the air to me. Um, I think it's a meta pick. And I think it is one, you know. But even against Morgok or Ripa, like you have this on round one, you use it to push them into a lethal hex or push them into a corner to trap them or just push them into support. Um, Like it can be good against those warbands, but if you draw it later on against somebody who's being aggressive, it's probably just not going to be useful. So I think this is going to be very hit or miss.
0: Yeah, it's almost ironic the name of the card because I am being optimistic about this card and it could be misplaced. Right. But the idea here is, yes, there are some great scenarios that you have outlined. Um, But I think being able to drag an enemy leader off an objective, off a feature token, cover hex, whatever, or maybe, you know, into charge range or even better out of charge range of your fighters Mm -hmm. so that they can't respond to your aggression, um, I think is exciting because there is no um, restriction or requirement on how that push works. This is essentially distract your opponent leader twice as long as they're in their territory Mm -hmm. and having this in the beginning of the game is incredible because what you can do is if they want to keep their leader aggressive you can push them back you can bring them forward gank them or if they're hitting in the back push them in the corner of the board then they're going to spend two turns of the game trying to get into you and you've already murdered the rest of their warband i mean it's the options are limitless and and that's why i like
1: it i think that's very true um and not to mention that like later in the game like you can go into enemy territory and bait them back and then you have use of this card again i've seen a lot of uh, aggressive warbands use the ultimatum engines board against me that's the one where there's three uh, lethal hexes in a triangle and if they put that board down and you have this in your opening hand like bro you're chilling that's a great start for you i would say the only other downside to this is because it's leader You know, we've talked about, you know, you're not playing for the early leader kill, but you'll take it if it's available. And if you take it when it's available and then you kill the leader, then obviously this is a completely dead card. So it's like it's another slight downside. But for the power available, like, yes, sometimes it's not going to be useful. But when it is useful, it's probably one of the strongest cards that you can ask for.
0: Yeah. So going back to two things you said, number one, that lethal play, that's such a huge mind game that you've just played with your opponent. Mm -hmm. Because now their four wound fighter in theory is now three wounds, you know, or Hrothcorn is now five wounds. Which is so much instead of being terrible. three shot, he's two shot exactly. So there's a huge mental game and pressure that you just put on your opponent, which is huge. But secondly, yeah, I you know let's just say half the games you can't really use this card because you either bottom deck it or it doesn't apply. But let's look about the cards we're trying to score here. We're trying to score cards where we surround fighters. Or get kills, you know, supported by a leader, or just get kills with Grievous in general, mm-hmm. right? And then maybe we're taking cards like Reckless Swing, or Impending Doom, stuff like that. And then we're thinking, like, well, if they're going to come to me, that's good for me because it increases my likelihood of inspiring, it increases my likelihood of, you know, taking out a key enemy threat, and it helps me score my cards. But if they're not, so then I don't care if I can't use this card. But if they're not coming to me, then I can punish them for it. Exactly. And then start those plays like imagine if you draw this and like great strength in your opening hand and your opponent is like somewhat like reckless with their leader placement you could win the game just right there if you if you if the card for the dice roll in your favor it's it's pretty incredible in the potential of this card to where i think it's worth again similar to the surges the downside of maybe not being able to play it because at that point it doesn't matter because they've played into your hand
1: yeah i i definitely agree with that um I think this will probably see play in the deck. I think it's just worth noting that like you do have to like, you're going to have those games where it's a dead card and you're just, you're just going to have to live with that because the games where it's not a dead card, it helps you win so hard. So yeah, it's exactly, it's a great card. Um, yeah. And Oh, what, what's our next one? i on.
0: Yeah. So the next card is poisoned traps. It's a domain card. Hmm. Um, so domains are a new card um, that exists Um, essentially the effect persists until the end of the round or until another domain gambit is played. It's very similar to a waypoint. um,
1: but only for for calls of the
0: recognized. Yes, exactly. Waypoints will last indefinitely, but this one this one is just for the end of the round. So this is a reaction. Use this after an enemy fighter's move action. Roll one attack dice on a roll of smash, stagger that enemy fighter. And this will happen if you play this in the beginning of the of the round, you can potentially have the chance of rolling four times if they make moves or charges.
1: Uh, I don't like this. I mean, I was big on I know I was out of the two of us. I was the the bigger on the stagger package for objectives, but like it's a reaction to an enemy thing. That's great, but like they might not move. You know, if you're a range two or three fighter and you're just post up in the middle of the board, you might not even move for most of the activation. You know, if you have some sort of push ability, you're probably not caring about this. And even if, you know, the best the best case scenario, your opponent has your opponent has four activations and they do four moves or like four charges or whatever. um, It's still a one in three chance that's not great for, you know, a one round ploy that you have in your deck.
0: Yeah. I'm very willing to just move past the next card Uh, because I'm just not feeling,
1: I will say that this is really, really good against exile dead because one activation makes five move actions and he's going to do that multiple times. So you're going to, you're going to score this, but like, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, it's just not good.
0: Yeah. That is a neat interaction to point out for sure. Um, but I don't, I don't see this going in a championship game. No, not at all. Next one is probing attack. Push each friendly minion up to one hex. Each minion can be pushed up to two hexes instead. If after that push, then minion is adjacent to one or more enemy fighters.
1: Uh, interesting question about this. Can I push one minion, one hex, and then the other minion, two hexes? Or does it have to be both two hexes to be adjacent or both only one hex?
0: No, I think you can do one and two. Okay. Um, based on the word.
1: It's a good card. I mean, we've already talked about how good push two fighters, one hex each is. Yes, this is limited to your minions, but like minions going up to get support to score you uh, way of the hidden paw to score you other stuff like get or just get you um, or sorry, way of the lashing tail um, or just get you support in general to make your three furies better. Like, yeah. It's a good card. I don't. I don't know. It, you wouldn't take it over the other one because obviously the other one is just push two, and this is two minions. But like, yeah, if you're looking for more push cards, here's one. It's good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like the applications with Skulk because of his ranged ability. Mm-hmm. So this can put him in range to where he can fire off some free attacks, if you will. That being said, I don't think this is better than a sidestep. Um, probably not because of yeah, because it's just minions, and we're probably going to lose one and. You know, we're hoping to score a card potentially for one glory where one of our fighters is out of action. So um, I think in Rivals, Rivals Plus, and I think maybe in Championship, if you're looking for like a fourth or fifth sidestep, you could probably go with Probing Attack. That being said, you're going to put sidestep in first.
1: Yeah, you're putting in sidestep, center retention. Uh, The other one, uh, Closing for the Kill. You're going to put those in first, but I like to load up on sidesteps like a lot of my decks end up being like four or five, sometimes even six push cards uh, if I'm going really crazy. So like this probably makes it for me personally.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting to think about. And I think it just comes down to preference at that point, because like you said, you're taking like, you know, four or five four me, probably three or four sidesteps. And then, you know, maybe if you add in distractions, that's half your deck. Um, I don't think I need more than that, but... Probably not. Depends on your preference. Next card is Redirected Attack. This is a reaction. Play this card during an attack action that targets a friendly assassin. After the determined success step, if the attack action succeeds, choose one friendly minion that is within two hexes of that assassin. That minion is taken out of action, then the combat sequence ends.
1: I have a lot to say about this card. <laughs> well, let's see. I don't it. want to go too crazy and and be here all night. Um, you know, this is. I played a, a good amount against Dread Pageant, and Shared Pain is like one of my least favorite cards because every single time I'm like just about to kill Slake Slasher, I'm just about to kill vaslak He's like, no, I'll just kill Hadzu instead. Instead, mm-hmm. and this is that card. Like your opponent's just going to be like. I'm going to kill skitter skitter shank. And you're like, nah, I'm just going to kill crouched instead or whatever. And for that reason, it's great, but it also has a two range, you know, downside. It's, it's a weaker than shared pain because you can't use it to yeah. shrug onto one of your other guys. It has to be an assassin. You can't save one of your minions by putting, you know, that two damage attack onto your leader or that two damage attack onto, um, Kin whisper or something like that. Uh, and sometimes you would save Glizette with Shared Pain and put it on just like slash you can heal himself. Um, it's still really good. And you probably are, as we talked about, running the one glory end phase when one of your dudes is dead. Um, and this just scores it for you, right? Like, you know, if you're or the one glory end phase, if one of your minions is dead. So this just scores that for you by like it saves your leader. It scores you a one glory end phase card it throws off your opponent's, you know, groove effectively. It's like a really, really, really good card. And, you know, a lot like uh, a lot like misplaced optimism. Yeah, there's going to be times where you have this in your hand and you just can't play it because your minions are dead or the position's wrong. But the times where you can play it, it's just like it, it wins you the game. This is one of those cards that wins you the game when you play it
0: sometimes. Yeah, agreed. So first of all, you're absolutely correct. It's a great way to score the card, Unsurprising Fate. That's the one. Um, Now, this is a gotcha card, right, essentially. Mm -hmm. And the mental anguish that has been caused by gotcha cards being played against me and me playing gotcha cards against my opponent can really throw off an enemy, you know, not an enemy, sorry, but like your opponent's (laughs) (laughs) groove and uh, mindset in a game. Um. Not only that, um, this combat sequence ends. So if your opponent was trying to score a card that needed them to require a kill or do something to oh. where you know, they needed to take an enemy fighter out of action, they failed. Because the enemy fighter that they're attacking, not only does their attack fail, but it is no longer taken out of action because the combat sequence just ends. That's because the minion is not taken out of action by the opponent, but by this card, that's a
1: really good point actually. Um, and I, this also denies primacy now that I think about mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, exactly. So that's, yeah, there, there's a lot of, this is a denial card. I mean, and it's, it's great that you brought up that like the mental associated with it, because how many times have you been playing Ripa's and they're just like, I have a narrow escape and you just, yeah. you, you want to pull your hair out and it's just the oh, same dude. card.
0: Exactly, but but this is like one of those assassiny tricky cards, mm-hmm. right? And this is the strength of the warband. The fighters may not be overtly impressive, but in conjunction with clever positioning, a bunch of sidesteps. Sorry, I was waving. You can <laughs> uh, no worries. Um, you you can. This is a great card, and just like Dread Pageant, there are games where you bottom deck Shared Pain, or there's no fighter in range, and it happens. But the mental game of your opponents, like, does he have it? Does he have it? Mm-hmm. does he have it? It's gonna mess with them, and I love it,
1: yeah um but yeah there, there's a little bit of a package here that we'll'll we'll talk about in a second, so let us keep going with uh the next card. yeah,
0: this is probably one of my favorites um this is skittering blur in the next activation attack actions cannot target friendly assassins.
1: hey, what's that uh Iden at the deepkin card um yep, it's the uh. Phantom yeah. something. Uh, I'm I'm blanking on the name of it right now. I'm going to pull it up because it's going to bother me. Um,
0: yeah, it's the it's the it's the one where they're covered in cloud of midnight is the one.
1: Yep, that's the. This one. This is cloud of midnight, but it's on three different fighters or two if kin paw is or kin whisper is uninspired. But even then, it's on two fighters. One thing that we talked about early on is the risk of going up with a snip pad paw and dropping the smoke bomb you know what's not risky running up and dropping a smoke bomb and then playing skittering blur and can't you can't be attacked in the next activation and now you've Mm -hmm. now you've done damage you've staggered you can't be attacked your opponent either has to like sit there and take the next attack or like run away into a corner because your next guy's going to come up and do a follow-up attack like this card is so good This is what I'm talking about, like, and you you hit the nail on the head, like, maybe the fighter cards aren't that impressive themselves, but like, God, the tricks in these guys tool bags is just is just so it's so deep.
0: Yeah. And so there are two cards that I want to bring up Magor's Fiends and Profiteers both have cards that say in the next activation, they can only take up to one damage, no more than one damage, right? Um, So this card is very similar to that, because so essentially what will happen is your opponent will be like, how many wounds does this fighter have? And you're like four. And they're like, what defense upgrades? Eh, nothing. Oh, okay. Get the damage. Get the damage. Invest resources. Play cards to where they can get that attack or plus one dice. And then you're just like, okay, skittering blur. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? You just made them waste cards. Maybe they can still attack a minion or, you know, kind whisper if he's not um, inspired. But... It's okay. You protected Slink. You protected Padpa. Those are your two damage dealers anyways. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible. This is another gotcha card. It's going to piss people off when you play it against them. And they're going to be scared to kind of invest their resources because they're going to just be like, does he have redirected attack? Does he have skittering blur? What's going to happen? And this is amazing. I, I love it so much. And it's going to be something that Is going to help you survive which is important
1: yeah i i think this is a fantastic card and this we've talked about cards that are like your ninth tenth card that you might put in your deck this is probably your first card like this might be the first game that i ever reach for when talking about this warband
0: yeah i mean i mean honestly yeah that's it's incredible um so the next one is called spitting cobra technique So this is restricted to Creep, Kin Whisper, and Slink Skittershank. So the leader and the range 3 fighter that inspires to an assassin, but doesn't start as one. Choose one enemy fighter within three hexes of a friendly Creep, Kin Whisper, or friendly Slink Skittershank, and roll one magic dice. On a roll of a crit, deal one damage to the chosen fighter, and then stagger the chosen fighter. Otherwise, stagger the chosen fighter. Go. Cool. What do you think? I think
1: it's very silly that they specified magic dice when literally every dice has the same chance of getting a crit. Um, it's very thematic, uh, but I think it's. It, I just thought it was funny.
0: Um, um, I'll tell you why. It's it's a starter set, so the starter boxes come with magic dice. Oh, and, and they so need a reason for you to have, have magic dice. They need a reason for you to use the magic. Yeah, dice. Yeah, that's that's cute. I like that. So, um, it's but yeah, I
1: mean. We we've talked about how this the uh, some of this um, stagger stuff in the past has not been very good like poison traps like the objectives. I think this is one stagger card you'll play even if you're not playing a stagger uh, a stagger like package a, a whole stagger thing because at the very worst it's a point and click stagger. So you do it in your opponent's power step. You go okay, it's it's my you know, activation next, I'm just going to stagger your dude. Now I've got a reroll. If I'm staggering your leader, my leader has two rerolls now because he gets the innate reroll. And it's just a point and click within three hexes. And then one out of every six times, you're also doing ping damage to them. Like, I think this is worthy of consideration uh, just in terms of like something that's going to make your warband better. This is, I think wedded blades is better because that one just says, your next attack has a reroll it doesn't have a fighter restriction doesn't have a range restriction um but i think this is like it's very similar to that you're just getting a reroll for your faction and it's next to two of your best fighters so not much downside in my opinion
0: yeah um that's interesting so i'm, I'm going to take a different approach on the card i don't necessarily disagree with you i'm just viewing it differently mm-hmm. um so there's a card called stupefy it's for destruction only it's deal one damage you know, to an enemy fighter, if they have an illusion upgrade, or whatever, but or stagger one enemy fighter adjacent to one of our fighters. So essentially, it's the same card. I think cunning crew have a card called creeping doubt. It's the same idea. But that one can give you a push, which is probably why you take it. I don't think it's worth taking a gambit that just staggers a fighter, right? Mm -hmm. And and this does have the 16% chance of dealing a damage. But unless you're going for the stagger package, right, then it's a different conversation. I'm looking at this card where it's like, I'm not going to go for the stagger package. Do I think it's just worth staggering a fighter? Is that worth a gambit slot? Is that worth one of my 10? And is it, is it, it's not even like a auto stagger. It's, they have to be within three of two of my fighters, specific fighters, mm-hmm. no doubt. That's where I'm just like, ah, I think I'm going to pass on this one.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think that's unfair. Uh, I think we're both approaching it from different angles. Um, and I don't disagree that like, yeah, when you've only got 10 slots, this probably doesn't make the cut. You know, if you think of this, you know, let's just take the damage out of it and let's take stagger as a mechanic out. Let's just say this is a card that says pick a fighter within three of one of these two fighters and get a reroll against that fighter. Um, it's, so it's basically an um, accuracy card. So mm-hmm. is this better than determine Effort or Wedded Blades? Yes and no, because no, in that those two cards are just automatic. You don't need the range. Again, you don't need the range of the fighter restriction. It just kind of happens. But yes, because the stagger token, unless cleared, continues. So you're going to get that reroll two, three more times this round. So I think it's like, yeah, it's not one you would reach for just in general, but it might be one that you reach for if you're like, okay, I want to put one or two accuracy cards in my deck, it's probably going to be determined effort, you know, just to get that plus one dice that really helps things out. That really helps out Grievous because you're rolling that extra dice, but maybe this will be my second accuracy card. And then there's that chance for the damage. So I don't know. We can agree to disagree on this one. I think it's, it's slightly better than it is. It wouldn't be one of my top five cards for this faction, but um, I think it's, I think it's viable.
0: Well, yeah. Actually, now that you mentioned that, it immediately made me remember a card that I used to swear by which was back in the day, which is Field by Fury, where you can reroll any attack dice for the first friendly fighters attack action. Now, keep in mind, that's any attack dice. So if you completely whiff, you can, you know, roll all three Fury or two Smash again. I loved that card. I was in almost every deck I played at the time when it was legal. In this example, this is a weaker version of Field by Fury. And I think when Jonathan and I used to talk about math and whether it's plus one dice or a reroll, it ends up being the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? Because essentially it's that third die. Um, Again, I'm not taking determined effort, but I was taking Fueled by Fury. And if this card is a hybrid or an unholy child of the two, then yeah, I mean, I definitely see why you would take it. I think with the amount of resources that I want to put into pushes, I don't know if this is going to make my ten. This could be twelve, thirteen, or maybe even eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is stiff competition for the slot. Have you convinced me that is not as bad as I originally think? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's fair. I think yeah,
1: I think I think we could say viable, but not great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the same goes for a sweep the leg, which is the next card, mm-hmm. right? this is choose one enemy fighter that is adjacent to one or more friendly fighters stagger the chosen fighter. I think the conversation applies exactly.
1: It's the same thing. It's closer range, but it's any fighter. So everything we've said, but slightly different, (laughs) you know, it's fine. Uh, I do like the name because again, this is a, uh, is a karate kid. Um, uh, Shout out to the, to the old movies. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, viable, probably not put in the deck right off the bat.
0: Yeah, again, like I think, so you're you're definitely going to take one of the two if you want to take one of them. I don't think you'll ever take both.
1: Um, you would take both if you were doing the stagger package, but again, we've talked about yeah. that not being super viable.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think anytime I approach any of this card, I'm not thinking about sure, the sure. stagger package. Right, right. Um, So it just depends at that point, which, pick your poison, mm-hmm. right? So, um, next card is Way of the Iron Paw. Love it. Mm-hmm. Kung Fu Panda vibes. The first time a friendly assassin has dealt damage in the next activation, the damage dealt is reduced to one. So this is actually the exact same card I was referencing for Profiteers or Magor's Fiend. Yes, it is. Incredible.
1: You know what's great about these cards? They just make your opponent, like, second-guess themselves. Because every time I've played... Well, I, don't, I don't remember the one for Profiteers, but I've played Profiteers a number of times. It's Dwarven Resilience is the name of the card. Um, Mm -hmm. or Dwarden Resilience, sorry, Games Workshop. Dwarden Resilience. Yeah, sorry, Games Workshop, for not using your words. Um, uh, Copyright. Yes. Every time I throw down Dwarden Resilience, it's like, well, I could attack for one, and then they just think for like five minutes, like, do I want to attack for one? I've already, you know, used this power card. I've already used that power card. You know, I've already put this upgrade on, like, do I want to attack for one? Do I want to like move over here and do something else instead? And like, even if you're just delaying that attack by a turn and your opponent's getting to draw a power card or like move on to an objective or something, it completely throws their mindset off. And the, you know, outside of that, the fact that you have three cards that do that, you have way of the iron paw skittering blur and redirected attack. You have three like, any one of these three cards would be an auto-include in, like, any in deck. Any yeah, because yeah. they're all really good defensive cards. And this makes, you know, it, when I first read the cards and I, like, thought about the warband, you know, I've made the comparison to Garrix Reavers and Blade Coven. And I don't like those warbands because it requires you to blitz across the board with squishy fighters and then die immediately. Mm-hmm. And now you have three insanely powerful defensive gambits, not even upgrades gambits. Wow. That is, that paints the entire warband in a very different light. So this is just, I think anytime you play this warband, you put those three cards in the deck and it's, a, it's, you only have seven cards to play with because you're never not running these three.
0: Yeah, completely agree. I mean, this is, you know, we've seen it in demonic resilience. We've seen Duarden resilience, amazing cards. And this really can throw your opponent's plans for a wrench. Can make your fighters last longer. Get that extra attack. Jump on the objective. Do whatever they need to do to score the cards in your deck, mm-hmm. which is incredible. And and this is why I'm so against taking some of those stagger cards because you put three auto includes from this, you know, from the faction in your deck in terms of defensibility. You take like four or five pushes and distractions. You're already at eight cards.
1: The deck does kind of build itself, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. It does. Exactly. And it's, so you're at this point where it's like, okay, well then I just take whatever I think is going to help me either continue to do what I'm doing or meta meta. Like, you know, you take confusion, probably some other stuff. So I, yeah, the deck does build itself. I mean, it's so competitive in that 10, but this is like a five star card, like incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Any like I said, any one of these cards, in any other war band would be like, I'm looking at these and I'm like, man, I really wish Scritch had some of these cards.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, dude, when I, when I was looking at the deck and when I first laid my eyes on this war band and, um, you know, started digesting the information, like I've gone on record and say that I don't think Skaven look cool. I'm not really a big fan of the Skaven aesthetic, but Holy crap. Am I going to be a disciple of Shank after this? Oh yeah. Because like, I am going to embrace the way of the iron paw because this is incredible. I mean, like
1: what a great first showing for Eshin! These are the first Eshin models since like the 90s because I think all the yeah. original Eshin are still in metal, like the the night runner. No, they're fine cast. They're fine cast, fine yeah. cast. Yeah, like the but the yeah. gutter runners and the uh, the night runners and stuff. And these are the first plastic ones we've ever had, and damn, they are good.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're definitely going to make their mark on Underworlds, and I think they look so cool to where even if you don't like Skaven. You're going to be interested in the way they look. You can appreciate it, and then when you look at their cards, and we haven't even gotten to the upgrades yet, yeah. Like that, this is an insane power deck, and we're not even halfway there. Exactly. So let's let's get on the way because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Well, still, got one more gambit to talk about. That's right. Way of the Slinking Rat reaction. Play this after a friendly fighter's attack action that took the target out of action. Place that friendly fighter on a starting hex in your territory.
1: Uh, You remember illusory fighter? You mean that restricted card from season? Yeah, that one that you just would play every time with a sake or with a a scritch or anybody. Yeah, yeah. That that card. Incredible. Uh, I guess this is, considering we've just talked extensively about three five out of five cards that you're going to put in every deck, I guess this might not make the cut in comparison to those three. But it's still like a five out of five card because, you know, man. Imagine if the meta shifts to very squishy, you know, it, like Exiled Dead, like um, Kynan's Reapers and stuff like that. And there's a Starblood Stock. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of two fight, two wound fighters on the board. You're just going to use this every single game, and you're going to get man. good use out of it every single game. Um, I, it, it's like I said. It, it might not make it into the deck because the other gambits are just that damn good. But this in any other warband, again would be an auto include. If this was in reverse, if this was in, I mean, if this was in blade coven and you can just chuck Camus across the board, do her combo attack and then pull her back. Um, yeah, that would be great, but
0: it's in here. Yeah. I mean, it's a great card. Um, I think they learned from the mistakes of illusory past where this requires a kill. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, that is a requirement. It's not necessarily the most difficult requirement in the world. Um, but this is, this is awesome. I think John Reese, when Spire first came out, he was very successful with a spike class swarm deck that literally just, you know, you could like charge twice because time, time Trap and all these different shenanigans. And, you know, you can, uh, when someone charges you, you can react and move away. Quick thinker. Um, up. Quick thinker, yep. So we've quick thinker, time trap, and then illusory fighter, like Scritch could just jump around the board, kill everything and get out of harm's way. And I think this is an ode to that in a way. Um, and I think that this is a really good way of get in, get your kill, get out. Super Sassany, super thematic, great utility. Um, that being said, I think there is a slight dissynergy, Because a lot of the cards that I think we've gravitated to on this podcast are more about positioning and being near enemy fighters. And this is a get-out-of-jail-free card, essentially. I mean, there is a toll and requires a kill. But it might be counterintuitive to the way that you're trying to score some of your surges. Just food for thought.
1: Yeah, but it is a reaction. So you can hold it and decide whether or not you want to pop back or if you want to stay there and do it like... It's a good card, and I I would not look down on anybody for putting this in their deck, for
0: sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you could yo-yo it, right? Like I used to, back in, in Night Vault, in Depticon 2019, um, what I would do all the time is I'd charge with Cursebreaker, mm-hmm. um, hopefully get a kill, and then Commanding Stride right back to where I started, right?
1: It's a good combo, yeah. I think yeah, so. I think the other thing about this is, and we talk, that we talked about with the other defensive cards, is just the mind game of it. Like, now your opponent has to think about, okay, I've got slink in your territory. You know, he's kind of exposed, but like, am I going to teleport him back into my side of the board? Do you want to set up for that? Do you want to position yourself? Like if you completely commit to, you know, falling back and going after him, and then I just pop back onto my board in a back corner, like you're never getting to my leader. So like there, there is mind games involved with this as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah it's by no means a bad card. Um, it's definitely something I think you're going to have to want a specific plan for, because I think there are just so many good cards yeah. that it's going to be hard to fit it in, which is never a bad problem to have with this, with any war band. So um, I think that concludes the conversation surrounding the gambits. Um, I think we can both agree that they're very strong. Yes. So we're not going to get into the gritty of that. Do you have a favorite and which one of the three? is this?
1: Yeah. Right. It- <laughs> We we know which one we're picking out of. I like skittering blur because it's just no like, yeah, I mean, way of the iron paw is reduce and redirected attack is like the mind games. But skittering blur is just a no, you you may not do that. You can't do an activation. And that is just I think that's so good. Yeah,
0: I want to say way of the iron paw, but I'm going to go with redirected attack Mm. um, because A, it's so thematic, like it's a skaven using another Skaven as an expendable option. Um, It's also really cool, the artwork. He's just like very ninja foo, like blocks it and just moves the attack ever so slightly to where it like cuts another Skaven in half. And again, the deniability that it offers you in terms of denying your opponent's scores, maybe like stuff they were trying to plan. It's just, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay. Well, do you want to kick us off on the upgrade? Yes, definitely.
1: Um, first up, we've got Deathmaster. This is restricted to leader. Interestingly, it's restricted to leader and not slink uh, by name. Um, plus one move. Rolls of double support are successes in this fighter's attack rolls.
0: Yeah, I think this is a pretty good accuracy card. Like, gives you another face on the die it's not bad yeah it's restricted to your leader but like we said your leader is pretty survivable pretty defendable um the the the, the idea of restricting and it just has the logo it just probably less text yeah maybe they're trying to create some uniformity in regards to the cards um and you know there may be cards out there that can turn your other fighters into leaders you never know
1: yeah could happen um yeah, I agree. I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's accuracy, it's mobility. Your leader is the one you want to put that stuff on. Cool. Good. Solid. Not mm-hmm. much to talk about there. Uh, next, we've got Eshin Throwing Stars. Uh, this is an attack action upgrade. Range 3, 3 Fury, 1 damage with Stagger.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. I heard the emphasis on Stagger. I heard it. Um, this is a good card for um, Crouched. Mm-hmm. Because then you can make your a third ranged fighter dishing out, you know, turret damage and you don't necessarily have to commit him to adjacent to an enemy fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think the fact that Skulk and Kinwhisper are already doing this means that you may not need the additional redundancy, especially because you're probably wanting Crouch to get killed because of the, the uh, unsurprising fate. So,
1: yeah I, w- I would agree like things to think about the redundancy I agree is nice but probably not necessary so I, I think you're hit the nail on the head there um, we've got gas mask this is restricted to pad paw so you're you're kind of lieutenant uh, melee three wound guy. Gas mask is this fighter cannot be staggered Delta damaged by lethal hexes and cannot be chosen or damaged by gambits.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty incredible actually upgrade just on its own. Um, The fact that it's restricted to Padpaw does kind of take away from the card, but I think the utility that it offers and the fact that you're wanting to be adjacent to enemy fighters, you're wanting the smoke bomb in some cases, I think this can really help you with some really cool setup um, and some positioning. Um, Ultimately, is it going to be, is it going to make your 10? I'm probably thinking no, but I think it's a really fun card. I'm going to look forward to playing it in rivals plus and, and rivals. Um, and you know what? I might try it in championship because maybe snip is going to be my MVP. Who knows? Yeah.
1: I, I, I agree with everything that was said. If it was unrestricted, it would probably be an auto include just for the, uh,
0: it would probably get restricted. Yeah. <laughs> I, think,
1: I think that's true. <laughs> Uh, Next, we've got Merciless. This is plus one damage to this fighter's range one or range two attack actions if the target is staggered. So this is great strength for your stagger deck.
0: Yeah, so it's always interesting when I see cards that are great strength but require something because ultimately you're just never going to beat great strength. And you could listen to previous episodes where Jonathan and I and Jason even have debated on like should great strength be restricted or not because it's clearly the best card. So I think if you take great strength, you take glory seeker, you take savage strength, maybe not in this war band, but potentially you take, um, uh, what's the one feral symbiote. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many cards that don't require a specific instance to occur. For you to reap the benefits of the damage there's even a weapon master which in some cases could be easier because you need to have three upgrades and that can be your third upgrade to get that plus one damage so do i like merciless yes do i think it's thematic yes is it going to make my champion check probably not because i got like three four better options out there yeah unless you're going stagger package right exactly and then then it's
1: basically great strength um but I, I think that's true. Like you never compare this actually to great strength. You never compare any of those cards to great strength because great strength is on a level of its own. You compare them to each other. So the question isn't, do you take this instead of great strength? The question is, do you take this instead of glory seeker? And almost always the answer is no. Yeah. Like the even the fact that like when diarchasm rotates what do we lose we lose feral symbiote and savage strength some some factions are going to hate losing savage strength cuz that card is great some factions are going to hate losing uh feral symbiote because that card is fine um but like we're still going to have glory seeker we're still going to have fighter's ferocity and yeah. those two make the cut before this every time
0: yeah not to mention whatever other plus one damage universal card ends up coming Another out. Maze, right? Yeah. Like, it's just again great for rivals. Great synergy in the rivals deck. But it's just not. I don't think it's better than the other two options, at least. No, but at, if not four.
1: No, I, and I mean again, we're, we're kind of joking about it now as a meme. But like, if you do the stagger package, it's probably great. There's a lot of stuff that supports it, but like. Again, are you going to? Probably not. So so let's just jump to Prehensile Tail because we're not going to go down that path again. Uh, prehensile Tail is you can reroll up to two attack dice in the attack rolls for this fighter's attack actions if this fighter has one or more attack action upgrades.
0: So I think it's an amazing card. Um, I think you're going to want to run attack action upgrades because you have Kin whisper and your two uh, minions who don't have range one or range two attack actions. Um, And in scenarios where you do lose snip and slink early in the game, you're going to want to probably Voltron can whisper to try to make that comeback maybe in that third or, or end of the second round, right? Mm -hmm. If things go really bad. Um, So you're going to have an attack action upgrade. This doesn't say that you have to use that attack action upgrade. So you can just stick the attack action upgrade on the fighter and there's no range limit on this card. So, you can use this on like a mobile Glory Seeker, Kin Whisper turret. Um, it's pretty great. I mean, you could. I think it's really good. And um, it's probably one of the better accuracy cards we've seen in a while. And I really like it.
1: Yeah. I mean,. You you mentioned early on in the podcast uh, using spears as kind of like the the range support for this faction because they you know because mm-hmm. you have range three with one damage or melee with two and grievous but you don't have any of that range two stuff and if you put in guardian glaive if you put in soul tooth spear and then you put this on top of it well those are only two dice attacks anyway so this is Tail plus uh, guardian glaive is two dice re-rolling everything and that's mm-hmm. really good um it's incredible now that said if you're like obviously you don't run this if you're not running attack action upgrades um correct but if you are like what uh awakened weapon was restricted because it gave you one free re-roll and this is two re-rolls like it's specific mm-hmm. two re-rolls but it's two re-rolls so yeah yeah i, I agree i think this is just solid
0: yeah, I mean, like think about it. You have your leader, four fury, G- grievous, yeah. right? Inspired, he has death master. So now he hits on half the dice on each dice roll, right? Mm-hmm. Then you give him two rerolls, even though because again, you don't have to use the attack action upgrade. You could even throw an illusion attack action upgrade, yeah, right? Like it doesn't matter, whatever. And then you go back to using his base built-in attack action, that is a four fury, grievous attack action. Reroll two,
1: and if it's a leader, reroll three.
0: There you go. If, yeah, exactly. And if it's staggered, reroll all the dice. Like, <laughs> um, it's crazy. Imagine
1: having four dice rerolling everything, and then you just roll all supports anyway.
0: <laughs> it's happened to all it's of happened us. All. It's, yeah, but if you have again Deathmaster, master, ah, yeah, the double supports you know, work. Support. Yeah, it, double supports can really reduce that risk yeah. there. So, I know we all know the curse of dice in underworlds, but this is and this I might eat my words yeah. here. Might, I might jinx it but I'm going to say it this could probably be one of the few instances in the game where you can overcome that just because of the sheer number of rerolls you have consistently
1: yeah for sure and and especially if you're running any other uh, accuracy things like halls of hidden eyes or something like that um,
0: mm-hmm. then you can never miss you, actually well, well yeah, heck, unless you roll unless smashes. It only
1: smashes but that would never happen yeah. would it oh <laughs> ooh, we said it uh, next we've got, so that's a good card uh, But next we've got Ricocheting Ricocheting Triskel Triskelly? I don't know how to pronounce that
0: Triskel, Triskel. Triskel.
1: Um, Ricochet reaction After this fighter's, uh, so this is Restricted to Creep, can whisper. So your range 3 uh, 3 wound guy After this fighter's trifing Triskel And net attack action If it succeeded, choose one other Enemy fighter within 2 hexes deal one damage to the chosen fighter so you hit a fighter and then this bounces and deals one damage to a nearby enemy
0: i mean i I think this is pretty pretty interesting this is like creep trying to go in captain america a little Mm -hmm. bit which is kind of cool um i like the theme i like the utility um i think in some metas it can be really good does it scream like auto include to me? No. Am I going to put it in my deck? I don't think so, but it is a novel idea and I can appreciate it for what it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, ping, it, it's effectively kind of a ping AOE damage, but yeah, it's fine. Uh, next we've got shadow paw. This is restricted to assassins. So your leader and uh, uh, snip snip and or an inspired. Crit- yes. Or again, if you, yeah, I mean, there are cards that make minions uh, or any fighter's assassin if you bring them. But That's yeah. true. But probably just your leader or your two dudes. Uh, this is an action. Place this fighter in an empty hex adjacent to an enemy fighter, then give this fighter one move token and break this card. So it's an action to teleport anywhere on the board next to an enemy.
0: Yeah. Um, it's cool. Um it's interesting. So in a way, this can actually score you way of the, um, what is it, hidden?
1: Yeah, way of the hidden paw. Yeah,
0: that that's true. Way of the hidden paw or way of the lashing tail mm-hmm. um, because it's immediately after an activation. Three more fighters are adjacent. So if you see the setup, you can just teleport, get to glory, um, make your fighters harder to hit, and then make your fighters more accurate moving forward, especially if that fighter has been charged. This is a great way to maybe end the round teleport behind the enemy leader and then start the round. Hopefully you win the roll off and get that kill, get that inspire if that's what you're trying to do. That being said, um, uh, outside those particularly niche scenarios, I'm not sure if there's going to be a lot of utility in this card, Um, especially if you draw it early. I think I'd rather see damage and other cards drawn early.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you can somewhat... Um, compare this to the Thorns of the Briar Queen upgrade. Um, Inescapable
0: Vengeance? Inescapable Vengeance,
1: vengeance, yes. But Inescapable Vengeance you could do as part of a charge. And this has Mm -hmm. to be an action by itself. So would you ever just do a move to teleport? Probably not. So, I yeah, I think for me it's a pass.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a setup card, which can pay off in spades if the right... If you win the roll off, going into the next round, right? But yeah, it's a lot of ifs there. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: next, we've got Spy Rats. This is a paragraph and a half here. Uh, reaction. And so this is for Creepkin Whisper. So your range three guy. This is reaction. Use this after an activation step in which one or more opponents drew one or more power cards or one or more cards, or after a power step in which one or more opponents drew one or more cards. So reaction after a step in which your opponent drew a card. Choose one fighter. If you choose a friendly fighter, give the chosen fighter a guard token. If you choose an enemy fighter, stagger the chosen fighter.
0: It's cool. Um, if it wasn't restricted to just kin whisper, I think I'd like it a lot more. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's going to make my cut. It's just um, I don't know. I'm not.
1: Gonna yeah, work. the game's a little too fast for opponents to be drawing as part of an action. Um, And not many people are... I I mean, Duel of Wits is still taken sometimes, but the fact that it's restricted now, not a lot of people are playing it as a uh, um, a power card. So drawing cards is not as common. Um, Yeah, it's it's not great. Mm -hmm. But then we get to a great one. We get to Supernatural Agility. This has no fighter restriction. So any fighter, this is plus one defense.
0: Amazing, auto include. Yeah, probably too good.
1: Take. It. Uh, I, I remember when acrobatics was part of the uh, Shade Spire set, and it was taken in every single Dodge Warband because it was just that yeah. good.
0: This is incredible. You put uh, you put your leader in a cover hex, three dodge. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's incredible. Shadow
1: Keeper, uh, you can consider running yeah. um, Champions Fortitude or Shade Mark, both of which give you a reroll on your defense dice, like. There's just a lot of things that are three dice by itself is great. And then there's ways to stack it. So, yeah, Yeah. it's probably the best uh, upgrade for this faction, I would say.
0: Yeah. And if you didn't think the card could get any cooler, the card art is an assassin balancing itself on uh, Galagan's spear while Galagan is yelling at him. And it's probably the coolest depiction of Galagan we've ever had. Is that Galagan or is that Scathale? Oh, it could be Scathail. Is it the horns? Yeah, it's Scathail. Yeah,
1: because it's, yeah, you're it's right. his sword, but still it's like.
0: Oh, is it a sword? Okay. Yeah, but
1: still it's like, it's very, very cool. This is very, uh, yeah, it's just wouzha, very cool to look at. Wuja Kung Fu uh, film.
0: I like that. Yeah. This is a scene out of Crashing Tiger, Hidden Dragon or Kill Bill. That's incredible.
1: Uh, and then we've come to our final one, uh, The Face Gouger Fangs, which might win for Coolest Name. Uh, this is an attack action. Mm-hmm. Range one, two hammer, two damage within snare. So it's a fine attack. Uh, But this fighter has the flying trait.
0: Yeah, so all flying does is essentially you can move through occupied hexes um, or over lethals and not take damage while making a move or charge action. Um, So that's pretty neat in some niche scenarios. I think because your five move, it's probably not going to come up very much. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I think it's more interesting the fact that this is a two smash, two damage attack within snare, um, we're talking about attack action upgrades that can be useful, um, c- can be, you know, help you play your game and then you get benefits for having attack actions in your deck mm-hmm. to help your small guys or um, prehensile tail, which is a really nice upgrade. I don't think it's a bad attack action. I think it's perfectly acceptable. I think it's going to be great in Rivals. I think you could take it in Championship. I mean, and Snare is great. It's fine, um, yeah. Because we see, we see a lot of dodge warbands trying to camp cover hexes, and you take away, you know, some of their uh, defensive survivability there. I mean, it's, is it going to be better than, like, Kite and Scimitar or Guardian Glaive or, you know, some of the other cards? I don't know. But, I mean, if, if we're in a warband meta where there's a lot of Dodge fighters I I can like, I can go along with face gouger fangs.
1: Yeah. I, I think this would be like much more appealing if it was three smash because a lot of times it's either range two two hammer, two damage or range one, three hammer, two damage. And this is range one, two hammer, two damage. So it's like a little bit worse than your average at, attack upgrade. And because of that, it gets flying, but I don't know if flying is enough to make up for that. Um, but like you said, when you're working in a limited card pool, if you want that, uh, if you really want ensnare, or you're working in rivals or rivals plus, and you're like, hey, I want attack action for X Y Z reason, you know, to boost my guys or to play prehensile tail or whatever, yeah, it's fine. It's it's. It, I would definitely say agree with you and say it's passable. But like, this would not be the uh, the first card I put in my deck.
0: Yeah. And to be fair, they can't have it all.
1: It's not like they don't have enough good uh, power cards.
0: Yeah. Having a very average attack action is perfectly acceptable and probably better. If this was three smash, I'd really think they have it all. So, yeah, uh, but they're pretty damn close. So let's talk about Zach, your favorite upgrade and your thoughts on the upgrade card as a whole. Uh,
1: I mean, the, the obvious pick for best is supernatural agility, I feel like that's too easy of a pick, um, but it it just is. I mean, plus one defense is insane. I think it's going to be in every single uh, claw pack pack deck. It's good. I think overall the upgrades aren't as impressive as the power cards, which it's not saying a lot because the power cards are just absolutely, uh, sorry, rather the uh, gambit cards. And it's not saying a lot because the gambit cards are absolutely insane. The upgrades are good, fine. I mean, you would like this upgrade package and a lot of different warbands. Um, it just feels a little underwhelming coming off the back of those uh, Gambit cards, which were just so powerful. But there's good stuff in here. Prehensile Tail's great. Uh, Supernatural Agility's great. The weapons are both absolutely fine. Um, yeah, I think this is a good uh, upgrade package.
0: Yeah, definitely a tough act to follow after the incredible Gambits we saw. That being said, this is better. This is probably on par with most of the better warband upgrade decks we see. If not on the higher end of things in terms of utility, um, in terms of synergy, and in terms of overall strength, I think Prehensile Tail is my favorite because I just love those two rerolls. And I definitely think, you know, if you're, if you're playing Murder Scaven, you're going to take attack action upgrades. So. That's my bet there. So I think overall, great update, great upgrade deck, fantastic, insane gambit deck and good objectives with, you know, average to above average fighter cards means that I think Skitter Shang's Claw Pack are in a very good place.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that assessment. Um, Like I said, this is not my general style of thing. I generally don't play fast, fragile, uh, you know, squishy warbands um at least ones that don't have a res mechanic um but like looking at the cards available to these guys i think out of the uh the starter war bands this might be the one i play but we still have to record our uh uh shadow stalker uh episode and uh i don't know maybe i'll change my tune once i see those see those cards as well
0: yeah you know and let's not get things twisted i am an elf fanboy my loyalties lie there. I'm just saying I am tempted enough by the way of the iron paw to, I'm willing to give it a shot, but that's not going to replace any loyalties. Now that being said, um, you know, I think they're a good war band. I think for a starter war band, they're going to teach you a lot of fundamentals. Um, and for someone who's more tenured or more experienced with the game, I think you're going to have a lot of fun. And, you know, you mentioned they're fragile. I would, I would challenge, that statement, because I think given their gambits, they're not as fragile as we might think.
1: Right, uh, fragile from a fighter perspective, where they're they have yeah. those two wound fighters and those three wound fighters. Um, the overall wound count of the faction is quite low, but like when you can just pop uh, way of the iron paw or um, any of these other really good defensive upgrades and defensive ploys, like that fragility goes out the window super fast. So. I think this mm-hmm. is, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, reading through these has gotten me super gotten my juices flowing, gotten my deck building, super excited. And yeah, I'm loving it.
0: Yeah. Not to mention the the doors that open up with the assassin keyword and potentially stagger if you want to have if fun, you with, have it, fun so. with it.
1: Yeah. Assassin yeah. and minion, I think are two of the even better, uh, keywords to get baseline. Um, maybe not. I don't know if Assassin's better than Brawler, but Minion is itself very, very good.
0: Yeah, Brawler is just really good because it Yeah. Yeah, but uh anywho, we've got a couple questions from our patrons, so let's jump into those. Um, if you want to jump to the Patreon question section of the sure. Discord, that'll Hold help. That on. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> so compact Shout out to compact. he's running the uh vassal discord now after Shubi took a step back. Um he says, should we all start hiding our leaders at the back? Zach, what do you think?
1: Um, <laughs> yes, but not really. Uh, I mean, like we talked about with this warband, um, if you are going to hide them because that's what your warband want, wants to do, like with uh, Zarbag's skits, like with Sepulchral Guard, and that's what you wanted to be doing in the first place, you probably want to be hiding them even harder. But if you're playing... Krothgorn, you're you're probably fine. I wouldn't worry too much about it.
0: Yeah, I think for me, stick to your natural game plan. Don't change it so much just because you're playing into a warband that happens to be able to hit your warband better, or maybe try to kill your leader. Sorry, and then you know try to kill them because I don't think they need the Inspire, so they're not going to be someone that's just going to bull rush your enemy leader. I think be smart, be wary of the tricks, familiarize yourself with their cards so that you don't get, you know, misplaced optimism, throwing a wrench in your plans or pulling you out of position. Um, be smart, be cautious. And I think you'll be fine.
1: Uh, next, we've got another question from Compaq. Um, oh, we have already talked a little bit about the inspired side. So uh, let's not definitely go over that. Uh, he asked, though, considering the speed and Elethane's importance in Soul Raid, will this be the anti war warband?
0: That's a really interesting question. Um, so Elethanes don't struggle against three wound and four wound warbands. Um, that being said, you already know what Elethane's game plan is. I think nine times out of ten, they're going to just charge into your territory and they're going to jump on cover hexes to try to score a bunch of cards. The fish is going to be annoying, but I mean, that's the purpose of the fish. Um, That being said, I definitely think that Elethane is always going to be protected in the hands of a smart Elethanes player. He's only going to commit when the risk risk, um, allows him to. And so maybe, you know, let the Elothanes player go first. So they get their fourth activation before you do because then that might open up elethane to get some damage or be killed um, or maybe killed at the top of the second round so we can't you know bring tamiel back or you know be super accurate i'm not going to say they're the anti elethane warband i think i think the matchup is definitely winnable for both warbands i definitely do think the elethane player has to be a little bit more careful but i i'm not, I don't think the game are going to just one shot elethane at the beginning of the game i think it would be the elethane player fault at that point
1: yeah, I definitely agree with that assessment.
0: Um, the next question is from Valentin. How will all this new content shake up the championship meta? That's the first question.
1: Um, well, we haven't gone through everything yet. Uh, I definitely think this... I don't know if this Warband specifically, like, Pack, shows up and completely shakes up the meta. It does kind of shake up the counter meta, meta that we saw at Adepticon. Like, if you put these guys into um, Mournflight, Purifiers, and Skaven, and I keep saying Skaven, now there's two Skavens, uh, and uh, Scritch's, Spike Claw's Swarm, I'd say that these guys beat all those Warbands pretty reasonably, or at least go even into them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they're good into the meta, when you're talking about Crushes and Crothgorn and Ripas, I think those are pretty rough rough matchups for them, just kind of in general. Uh, They do have those defensive cards. It really depends on how the cards come out and how the dice go from both sides. Um, So, I think they're going to slot nicely into the meta, and kind of like this rock, paper, scissors, you know, good against some things, bad against others, kind of fit in their type of deck. Um, But I don't think they're, like, going to show up and completely dominate the meta game.
0: Yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, good thought. I agree with that assessment.
1: Uh, we've got one yesterday from uh, Hussman who asks, "What do you think of the inspiration mechanic? Is it too difficult? Um, and how much does the assassin keyword impact their playstyle and deck construction?"
0: Yeah, I think. Over the course of the episode, um, we've mentioned that at least I, I don't think the inspiration is that important. Mm-hmm. I think you can win a game without inspiring. It's a nice to have, but it's not an—it's not a requirement. Um, I think the assassin keyword can impact as much as you want to. Um, and I know that's kind of a lazy answer, but they've got all the tools in their deck. They've got some really great cards. You're going to want to take pushes and distractions. So it just depends on how much you want it to impact the deck. I definitely think you can take a lot of assassin cards and try to reap the benefits, but I think you'd be shooting yourself here in the foot a little bit if you didn't take some of the just clear auto includes that come with the warband.
1: Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of assassin support at the moment, so it's probably not going to come up too much, but it will come up in some situations.
0: Yeah. Um, there is another question from Valentin. Um, what do you expect to be on the next FAR? Uh, Shadowkeeper.
1: <laughs> I don't care about anything else. I think Shadowkeeper should be on the FAR, and I'm sure there's other things that I'm not thinking of right now that somebody's going to yell at me, but like every time I play that card and have it played against me, I'm like, man, I really wish we had a FAR update right now because that is just too good of a
0: card. Yeah. Uh, um... It's interesting. I think overall Shadow Keeper, sure. Silent Helm, I think, is really good. Um, very popular card. Um, I think a lot of the healing is kind of annoying at this point. Um, like, as someone who you know abused you know some healing and hunger in the Crimson Court, I think hitting some of their cards maybe like Inured to Hunger should be restricted because it's damage reduction and that's consistently been hit. Um, talking about maybe Spirit Comb or Vicious Morsel, just cards that just punish your opponent for attacking you because it just invalidates an entire action. I think if you hit some of those cards, um, not only are you hitting Crusher, you're hitting Hrothgorn, you're hitting you know all the big boys, but you're also hitting the Warbands that are reducing damage. I think that combined with Silent Helm on the other end of the spectrum, I think I'd be pretty happy. Um, It's interesting that
1: you talk about the healing because I don't think any of the healing cards themselves are very strong. Like if healing potion, when healing potion is the only healing card in the game, you don't take it. It's really just the the fact that you can stack them. That's the problem. And putting them on the restricted list does kind of neuter that a bit because now it's like, well, two of them are on there and you're not going to take both. Right. Like even if one of them is on there, it's like, are you going to burn a restricted slot on spirit cone? Yeah, probably not. Um, but I do think those are definitely ones we could see. I was actually thinking about this, well, I think both Crushes and Rippas um are the ones you're seeing a lot right now. I think Crushes might actually become the first warband in Underworlds to have more than 3 restricted cards in faction. Because the 3 they have in there are already very good and they still have other good cards that they can play. Um and they're, you know, they're obviously not being slowed down by having three faction restricted cards. Um, Rippas could stand to have um, narrow escape uh, restricted. Yeah. I, we didn't see a whole lot of Ripa's at Adepticon, but I think we all know that they are one of those warbands that's like, yeah, a good player can pick up Rippas and probably make top eight. It, it, they're, they're just yeah. very good.
0: Yeah, that's true. And if we're going to talk about other factions as well, I think you could probably hit Speed of the Tide for Soul Raid. Sure, I think that card is just an auto score with the fish. Um, and then I think if you've seen the way that Chad Wright plays Cunning Crew, um, I would probably hit Supreme Cunning. I know that Cunning Crew isn't that crazy, but like it's just so easy. It's like a, it's a gimmick. I
1: think they are crazy though. I think Cunning like it's weird to restrict them before they get you know, the ball rolling, but like, I think it's just going to take one good cunning crew player to show up with a deck at a, at a grand clash or like a local clash and just like absolutely steamroll everybody. Because I think that war band mm-hmm. is really good in the hands of a good player. And I don't think they're so good that they need to just be like preemptively nerfed or anything like that. But I think down the line, if you keep looking at what they do, what they can do, what they're capable of, a couple of those cards probably will get hit sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um last question for Valentine. What's the best war for winning in Rivals?
1: Probably Rippas. Maybe Grimwatch. Yeah. I mean it's,
0: it's Reapers too, I think. I
1: mean, yeah, I think it's it's mostly the the Beast Grave stuff, and then like Reapers and maybe no, probably not Star Bloodstalkers. I've got a good rifles deck, but it's not that crazy. Um, I guess now I, I would probably put Clawpack up there because we've just talked about how mm-hmm. insane their uh, faction cards are. So yeah. yeah, yeah. if you really want to uh, play Rivals and do very well, buy Nether Maze and just play the Rats.
0: Yeah, I think Clawpack, Cunning Crew are two standouts and Reapers outside of Beastgrave. And then I think you take the usual suspects in Beastgrave. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, And then our fellow co-host, Path to Glory Jason, asks, is there any other way to play them other than Murder Skaven? No.
1: I want to say that there's probably like, you could play them like invasive. You've got a low enough model count and you will lose some of your squishier dudes or you could run like bold deeds which is you know like aggro but it's like sort of also kind of not aggro because it's like positional aggro um you could run unafraid which is positional only i mean you could run um intimidating display have three guys in enemy territory because you do want to kind of blitz across the board like you could play these positional but not necessarily aggro cards but like, if you're going to play these guys, you're going to play them aggro. I think that's just the way that they're designed to play.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think you're right. I definitely think there's a world in which you can play them like kind of like how I play Crimson Court at Dipticon, which is like flex hold into aggro. Like you can, you can have a passive package that your minions can help you score in your backline mm-hmm. maybe. Um, and then when you get your upgrades, just kill stuff.
1: Yeah, if there were more, if there's more support for it within them, like they don't even have a single card that cares about being on an objective. And I think that's kind of the, the defining thing. Even Crimson Court have Death's Domain. Like even if they don't have any other mm-hmm. ones, like that one's good enough where you can kind of build a deck that includes it. Here, if you're going to do objective hold or like stand on feature, feature hold, whatever you want to call it, like Fearless Seekers and stuff like that, you're building it purely out of a, universals and they don't have their own support for it. So I would say there's not really a, I wouldn't consider any way outside of aggro, like a le- quote unquote legitimate way to play them.
0: Yeah. And, and you're probably right. Um, I think I'm going to try to make some of the passive stuff work, but if it doesn't, it doesn't. Mm. And that's okay. Cause I still think they're really good at doing what they're supposed to yes, do. Yes, very much so. Okay, well, any final thoughts on Skitter-Shank's claw Clawpack before we close out this episode?
1: Uh, no, I think we've said what we have to say. They're very good. Um, you know, I think this is definitely going to be a high skill ceiling. I encourage people to practice the heck out of these guys. This is not a warband you can pick up day one and show up at a, a Grand Clash and expect to do well, even if you net deck the best deck for them. You're going to need to get the reps in. You're going to need to learn how to think about positioning and your activation economy and just where you want to be and when you want to be there. Um, but I think once you figure that out, these guys are going to click.
0: I completely agree. I think this is a war band that rewards dedication, practice and commitment. Um, in addition to that, I think there are a lot of fun. They have incredible gambits, strong upgrades, good, uh, objectives and fighters um, they're thematic they're cool to look at they're fun to hobby with i mean honestly and they have cool art like i really think this is a warband that has it all and can appeal to a lot of players i mean like this isn't even your play style right and you're saying that they've tempted you and they've got the cogs wearing in your mind so i think aggro players flex players and even hold objective players might be tempted by this warband and um i think it's going to be pretty impactful in the meta and they're going to be pretty popular So I'm excited to see what the community does with them. I'm excited to see what I do with them. I'm excited to see what you do with them. And, uh, you know, maybe we can all end up being disciples of the way of the Iron Paw. I would love to see that. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode. If you're a Patreon supporter, be sure to check out the exclusive um, end phase content in which either Zach, Jason, or myself will create our first deck with this warband and share on why we picked some of the cards. Um, once again, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to join our current patrons, you can do so at patreon.com slash path glory. You can find all of our blog content online at path to glory podcast. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or discord at path to glory podcast, please rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And as always, thanks for listening. And we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory. Yes, yes.